subtle results. Still you, but with fewer lines. Botox Cosmetic, out botulinum toxin A, is a prescription medicine used to temporarily make moderate to severe frown lines, crow's feet, and forehead lines look better in adults. Effects of Botox Cosmetic may spread hours to weeks after injection, causing serious symptoms. Alert your doctor right away as difficulty swallowing, speaking, breathing, eye problems, or muscle weakness may be a sign of a life-threatening condition. Patients with these conditions before injection are at highest risk. Don't receive Botox Cosmetic if you have a skin infection. Side effects may include allergic reactions, injection site pain, headache, eyebrow and eyelid drooping, and eyelid swelling. Allergic reactions can include rash, welts, asthma symptoms, and dizziness. Tell your doctor about medical history, muscle or nerve conditions including ALS or Lou Gehrig's disease, myasthenia Gravis or Lambert-Eaton syndrome and medications, including botulinum toxins, as these may increase the risk of serious side effects. For full safety information, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. See for yourself at BotoxCosmetic.com. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan on Quartz 96FM. Good morning. It's a grim and grisly Monday out there, but there is light at the end of the lockdown tunnel. Let's stay here in for PJ on the show this morning. If you have anything you'd like to talk about, 1850 715 996 is the number to call, or you can text or WhatsApp us on 083 396 96 96. First things first, I suppose a lot of positive news over the weekend in relation to the coronavirus and the lockdown lifting. Here's the Taoiseach introducing that. Some have asked whether there's a limit to what we can achieve. My answer is that limit does not exist. We've been here before and we know the way out. Quoting, if you didn't know, Mean Girls. Um, he was challenged to quote Mean Girls by the actor Sam Aston, who plays um, one of the hobbits in Lord of the Rings, and which was the last quote he did in a, in a speech. And there he is quoting Mean Girls. I mean, it's what he said was appropriate, but do you think that it was appropriate that he was quoting Mean Girls during this speech? Up to you to decide. Personally, I'm a big fan of the movie, but I'm not sure not sure whether I think it belongs here. Anyhow, Professor Jerkeline is on the line from UCC, just in relation to the latest news about the lockdown and what we're doing with it. Jer, what do you think of the fact that we are now looking at phase three happening on Monday the 29th of June? A lot of the things that were due for later phases have been moved into that. Hairdressers, churches, that kind of thing. Is is this okay by you? You're the AXA Research Chair in Applied Pathogen Ecology, so safe to say you're you're a good person to ask. Good morning. Um, yeah, no, I I I, um, I don't think it's a, a wise move. I think it's I think it's too early and too rushed, and it's too many things all at once. Mm. So um, I yeah, no, I, I I don't think it's a good recipe, especially when we're getting so close. You know, we're down to, we are down to small numbers of cases. So, it, you know, it wouldn't wouldn't take forever to take this to an end point. Yeah, I mean, looking at this versus the, the original plan, we would have been looking at some of those things I've mentioned. So things like team sports, gyms, cinemas, places of worship and hairdressers, weren't, some of those weren't due to reopen until August. Um, and I think hotels were originally meant to be August as well. And now we're looking at the 29th of June. Is this, is this a case, Ger, of, well, everything we've done has worked, so now we're going to stop doing it? Um, which it doesn't add up in itself, you know. If something's working, I would say, you know, keep doing it. Um, it's this, I mean, uh, if we reassemble all the components of the original transmission system, it's going to do what it does 
slip back into exponential growth of this of this epidemic, which is you know what is already happening in a number of countries that have eased restrictions and that are now wrestling to reimpose them. So um, it would be very easy to to lose all that ground that we've gained, and that would be a shame. So I suppose what what ha- what the Taoiseach did stress in his speech was that this is the time when people are going to have to take personal responsibility about going to crowded places, about um, you know judging for yourself a situation. What would you say to people listening who maybe feel a little bit nervous about things reopening? Would you say to them, you know, will then avoid these kind of scenarios, avoid the crowds? Yes, I would, and I, I would certainly encourage people to apply their common sense. Um, and if you're not comfortable with something as a general citizen, as an employee, um, you know, push back. I see a number of groups have already pushed back. ASDI have passed the ball back to the government's feet and said, well, listen, if there's a safe way to do this, um, then tell us, how, you know, you know what that looks like. Because, you know, if you ask me, I just, I just don't see how you can reopen all of these things in the next seven odd weeks without getting us back into the situation we were in in April. Looking so, at international, uh, you, sorry, you, you mentioned the increase in figures in other places. Now, we heard Beijing have had to reimpose a lockdown, I think, after an, a fresh outbreak there in another market. Um, looking at Germany, we, we saw this morning in the news that the um, R number in Germany has gone quite high again. But that seems to be mostly due to a particular outbreak in a very large meat factory. Sure. Um, well, the thing with these things, particularly when you're down to small numbers, is that, um, you know, it can just take one event to flip the growth rate because you're starting with a relatively small number of cases. But that's just an early sample. As you proceed, there will be more of these things. It might be meat plants today. It could be a football match tomorrow. It could be a school the day after that. And, you know, when you've got small numbers of cases, most of them will proceed quietly from one family to the next until they hit a kind of a large, um, a large congregated setting like um, a care home or a school or or whatever so it's going to be jumpy when and that's one of the big challenges it's it's these outbreaks they tend to get very big before you're aware that they've happened and then you're backtracking and they can be quite large so the problem with these the return to exponential growth is that it'll be jumpy and it'll kind of come at us in kind of um, in unpredictable little outbreaks but once you get a few of these going and um, they all kind of start to join up and yeah it's it it, it turns it's a it's quite a chaotic process but it proceeds in a fairly predictable direction so you know there's nothing surprising about what happened in germany mm. or unique and in terms of that i mean we know we've had our own problems in meat factories here which i gather that's kind of still going on there's still a few cases arising out of that i mean look at the numbers yesterday from the hpsc we our total deaths are now at 1715 the the number has really gone down over the last couple of weeks of the deaths being reported in fact no deaths reported yesterday although that does often happen over the weekend um six additional cases only confirmed like in terms of how we are detecting and tracking and tracing now, with your experience internationally, um, is it good enough? I think it's well, it could be a lot better, but there's also limits to what any country has achieved. So if you look at our situation, if you just take a simple look at the numbers, we've got what, about 25,000 cases and about 1,700 deaths. 
Now, if you divide one by the other, that's the case fatality rate of 6 7%. Now, if this, if this virus really had a case fatality or an infection fatality rate of 6 7%, you know, we wouldn't be having this discussion. We'd be treating this, you know, um, in the same way that we would treat a, you know, a cholera outbreak. Mm. So um, the real explanation for that, and this has been seen across all countries, is that, you know, even if you have a very good testing system, if you can pick up more than 20, 30% of the cases that are out there in total, you're actually doing a pretty reasonable job because many of those cases are asymptomatic. Um, you know, when you when you called me here, I was just reading a, one of the early studies from China of a mm-hmm. family that were picked up, and the, the index case had a mild rash. And it was only then when they tested that person, they found out that that person had COVID, and then they tested the rest of the family. And they found three other uh, people in the family had COVID. And none of them ever knew it or suspected it. And wow. so, you know, so you know, if you assume that only one in every 10 will get severely ill, it means that COVID could run through, you know, two or three families before somebody would become sick enough for it to be really, really obvious and for a test to be called in. So that's the reason why kind of COVID outbreaks are they're, they're really covert and sneaky. They get to a, a certain size before you tend to notice them, before there's enough people infected that you start to see the severe cases. It's funny, Ger, because when we've been having these discussions, the amount of people over the last while who have contacted us convinced that they had it in December um, has been quite high. And I've seen now from, there was a, a wastewater study done, I think in Germany and possibly another one in France, um, if I'm right, that they they have detected that it was there um, in the water system before Christmas. Looking at the pattern and looking, as you say, the, the numbers not being there to know whether there was actually an outbreak, do you think it's possible or even likely that it was here before Christmas? I think it is possible. I think if you're talking about December, that is possible. Um, you know, some people go further back, and you know, it's too easy to jump to conclusions over one, you know, false positive. You can always get an accidental, you know, one accidental positive in a mm. test and overinterpret that. But it's certainly plausible that um, the virus had been in circulation for quite a while, longer than suspected in China, and that it had travelled around the world. Um, as early as December, so so that's all that's all plausible, yeah. Okay, that's it. Yeah, because the amount of people who've contacted us convinced that the, the very bad flu they had was actually probably COVID. Lorraine says on WhatsApp, I'm nervous about my son returning to secondary school. He has a low immune system. And what about parents of schoolgoers who have health problems? Yeah, I mean, Jerry, you mentioned the ASTI there and I've seen, it's very interesting. There's a lot of kind of prominent media people on both sides of this. Some people who really want the schools to go back and other people who really don't. And at this point, there kind of is no safe way for that to happen, is there? Not in my view. I mean, I've had a few uh, phone calls from friends, colleagues, people out of the blue asking me about these things. And, you know, if I look at this, you know, cold and just look at the science and the data and the reports and decent interpretations, I don't see a safe way to do it. Um, And, you know, I think there's lots of people with plenty of common sense out there. And if you think about it, it, it just doesn't add up. You know, if you put it into numbers and scientific terms, I would say there might have been a way to do this if this was a virus that had a reproductive rate or two or less. But when your starting point is four, you know, it takes a huge amount of effort to get it to the point where it's not, you know, it's not the epidemic isn't growing anymore. So you take your foot just a little bit off the gas 
and then it slips back into um, an outbreak again, you know, into into growth. So no, I, I think people are right to to push back on these things. I think um, everybody knows their own business, their own um, their own employment, their own needs, and particularly for vulnerable people. I'm, I'm delighted the vulnerable people are really speaking up because they depend on the rest of us. Mm. And then the rest of us also need to be very mindful of, I mean, some of the calls I've had from um, vulnerable people have been, you know, um, they've been they've been pretty heartbreaking to, to listen to. And uh, But they depend on the rest of us to to take care of this. I mean, the special needs kids, they need to be back in school. You know, there are lots mm. of people that need to be given priority. I think we can all wait to have a pint. The rest of us, we can all wait to have our pint. Our kids weren't due back in school for a while anyway. Um, I think we'll all survive without a restaurant meal for a while longer. And I think, you know, lots of those industries and sectors of the economy are making those decisions for themselves. I really felt sorry for it. There was, um, I read about a, a couple in Ennis Diamond who decided to close the restaurant mm. because they've blown all their savings on it and they don't see a financially viable way to and safe way to reopen. And so rather than dig themselves into further debt and um, get themselves into further trouble, they've decided, they got advice from their accountant and their lawyer and they decided to, to close the restaurant. And, you know, that's, that's very similar to the decisions. And that was, I mean, that's really tough on them. And these, these, it's very similar to decisions that, Lots of people in the country are facing, and that the national finances are, are also facing. Um, you know, the, we have to be careful at reopening our economy um, because, you know, it, on a technical basis, I expect that if we do it according to the current plan, we're actually going to make our financial position worse rather than, you know, you can't you can't recover from a from an from an epidemic that isn't over. Yeah, I mean, so, so do so, you see this this bring us? pretty much directly into a second wave. Is that what you're saying? Well, it could, and that's why I would... Yeah, anybody who's got reservations, I would say you're dead right. Um, you know, the viruses don't listen to spin and they don't listen to um, kind of um, the some of the marketing we're getting around the reopening. Um, and the more people are cautious and the more people are pushed back, then the slower we're going to, you know, get ourselves into fresh outbreaks, the slower we're going to get into our second wave and the smaller it will be before we have to reevaluate and um, rethink our plan. Because the, the current one is, is really, um, you know, it's a recipe for disaster. Okay, Professor Jerkeline, that's probably a pretty depressing call to start a Monday on. Sorry but I about think... that. I really <laughs> I, I'm not enjoying this anymore than you are. No, I don't. I, I absolutely. I don't think anybody wants to be the the harbinger of doom in this. But it is good to hear some reality, uh, Professor Jerkeline down at UCC. Thank you for taking the call. So there you have it, folks. I mean, we'll be talking to people later who are planning on concerts, who are planning on weddings, who are reopening gyms and salons and beauticians. But I suppose the big question for you listening at home and for me myself is will I be going? You know just because something is there does that mean you have to go? We found ways of supporting our local businesses through lockdown with takeaways and with you know voucher schemes and all these kind of things but there are some businesses you can't support unless you're physically there. 
Will you be going or are you going to be staying put and, you know, keeping among your family and close friends until there is some news of a um, of a vaccine? It's when you hear the, the facts from Jerkeline about how these epidemics work, it's very, um, it's actually very worrying. One of the things that has been most upsetting, I think, actually, to a lot of people during lockdown were the arbitrary and differently applied rules about children in shops and in other public places. At the beginning, we were told children were vectors. Now we have learned that they aren't. They aren't any more dangerous than anybody else. But some shops still have policies governing this that don't seem to fall in line with the public health advice. Stephen Teep is going to be speaking to me about this in just a moment. He had an incident over the weekend and other single parents listening I think will be able to sympathise with what happened. Stay tuned for that. On Cork's 96FM With a self-service laundrette at Drew's Filling Station, Turner's Cross Spacious, convenient and still open every day. Self-service laundry.ie this is Court's Gold Imro Award winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now. 083 396 9696. On Court's 96FM. Morning, Stephen. How are you? Hi, Dee. Good morning. Stephen, you had an incident in uh, Scallies and Clonakilty over the weekend. Tell me what happened. Yeah, look, I suppose. I suppose as now the, the easing of the, the restrictions we're allowed to travel within our county so said we take advantage of that on Friday and we took a, a, a road trip down to West Cork myself and the boys um, what we wanted to do we went down through Glanmore Glandor Union Hall because we were going down to Renine Woods down there I don't know if you've ever heard of it mm. um, highly recommend it the, your kids would love it but um, went down there for the day and through Castle Townsend and then on the way back we were stopping off through Super Value um, in Clonacilty. Um This Super Value, um, I, I love it awful lot because they do a, a, an awful lot of local produce from lo- lo- local businesses yeah. and it's one of these places that, um, like it's an incredible shop and it's almost a rite of passage through West Cork. Oh, it's a destination Super Value, there's no doubt about it. Uh, without a doubt, you know, and like I have never driven past without stopping so we were on the way back anyway we were picking up stuff for a barbecue and um, drove into the car park now I was expecting a queue outside as usual you know because and I said to myself with the two lads that if there's a queue there now I'll give this a skip um, but there wasn't so out we get went into the shop and walking in the door couldn't see the hand sanitizers anywhere so asked the gent by the door look where are your hand sanitizers he points to me at the corner and as we were over there, is putting the stuff on the boys' hands to uh, clean them. Uh, he goes to be sorry, only one child is allowed into the shop. And I said, well, that's not possible. I need to take the two of them in. And he says, sorry, look, the policy is it's only one child out. There's designated hours in the morning for uh, families. And I said, look, I'm here now. There's nothing I can do. I need to bring the two children in with me. And he was like, well, look, you can leave them sitting there on the bench if you want to run in. And I was like, they're seven and five. Uh, I have absolutely no intentions to do that. I said, look, this policy doesn't suit everybody. You know, can you not just let me in? Eventually, anyway, he got the assistant manager out and pretty much repeated the same conversation. You know, their policy is one child. They've designated hours and everything else. And um, just essentially just, just wouldn't allow, allow us into the shop. I explained my situation. I explained, you know, it's, it's, it's impossible for me uh, to... Um, just bring one child in because I don't have anyone to look after the other child, and and no, they weren't they weren't going to let me in. Um, 
and like to be honest with you, it was just, I suppose it's one of these situations that I kind of been living in fear with for the whole lockdown because of all this talk earlier on with children. And I kind of been very conscious of, you know, I suppose bringing my kids anywhere with me. But things have been very relaxed, I think. Mm. I've heard of one or two situations where children have been stopped. I remember when um, Woody's DIY were reopening, they yeah. don't have a policy. Um, no under 16s allowed into their shops and I think they had such a backlash that they actually changed that policy quickly before they opened and thankfully they, they did, did because, yeah. Because uh, like myself and the lads were actually in with these last week and you know absolutely no problem whatsoever but the most ridiculous thing about it all was I hopped into the car and I drove 10 minutes down the road to Bandon and myself and the boys just walked into Super Value down there with absolutely no problems whatsoever I do my weekly shop here in Carrigaline in Barry Collins, Super Value. And like that place is probably one of the most family friendly places you could go to. Like mm. absolutely incredible. So it just, you know, one rule for one place, a different rule for everybody else. While everybody is trying to follow the rules that the government are giving us. Um, I think targeting children is something that, you know, I suppose is not acceptable. You know, there's so many different family, family situations out there that one rule doesn't fit everybody. If you think of my situation, um, being a single parent, but also for yourself, do you like? I know you have young kids and mm. you're working at the moment. You know, like we have we have no babysitter, schools or creches, but you know, like if your partner husband's looking after the kids today and he needs to run down to the shop because there's nothing there. Like th- these rules can't exist for children. It's one rule doesn't fit all. Like families come in all very various shapes and sizes. Mm. I think targeting children, um, it, it's just not right. Um, but what surprised me the most was the reaction that came from this. And I'm sure you saw it on social media. Yeah. Um, like, I, I just seems to be a, an awful lot of pent-up frustration and anger around this, where there seems to be a lot of examples throughout the country of this happening um, to, a, to, a, to a lot of people. Yeah, it's absolutely. I mean, you're not the first person we've been contacted by about this, Stephen. We had a lady last week who had tried to go into the shop in Gary Vaux there at the um, at the beach and was refused. Now, we did try and contact the shop, but they never came back to us. Um, they have a policy of no children at all. Um, I know in Cover I'm from, I think it's one of the banks has a policy of no kids. Um, but actually, we contacted Scallies for you, Stephen, and their um, response uh, is possibly not what I would have expected um, they say there are two sides to every story we are not going to tarnish the reputation of a perceived good guy especially by dragging his name through the vitriolic muck that is social media we will not go to that base level we stand by our hard working frontline team 100% now you didn't say anything about the frontline team just to be clear about that no I've, I'm not giving out about the two gentlemen that is talking to us all Look, they're, they're doing their job they're being paid to do a job they're, they have to enforce a policy that their employer gives them um, that's not the the issue isn't with the guys that I was dealing with the issue is the policy um, mm. but the bigger issue for me was I suppose when I was driving back to Bandon that time I was kind of thinking back to when I was at my most vulnerable um, three years ago and how this would have affected mm. me there's so many um, heartbreak situations ongoing currently there's a lot of um, anxiety out there um, do you know you're talking do you know like like parents say that have split up or children yeah. with disabilities that can't be left alone and they need to go to a shop that this policy is just something that um, you know can't exist and it's something that I've like written to the Musgrave group as well also because it's, it's, I think there needs to be some sort of corporate 
in the country now and people need to be going about with confidence to to uh, travel around and, and so on. Like next week you'll have hotels and campsites and everything. And, you know, we, we, we can't be living in fear. Mm. Um, like we have to be respectful as well. Like we have to be respectful of the staff that work here. But the thing is like beating the coronavirus requires everybody in society to play its part. You know, children have just as important role as us adults in doing this. Um, hygiene, washing your hands, catching your cough, social distancing. It isn't just adults that have to do that. Children yeah. have to as well. Yeah, and children um, have to be taught that and to be taught that they have to be able to go somewhere. Respectfully. Mm. But like, do you think, like, at the end of the day, <laughs> I don't know about you, but the last place I want to be going to with my children is the supermarket. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, I when I go on my own, I go around there 10 times quicker. I get more done. And most importantly, I don't up I don't end up having a fight at the sweet counter with them, you know? Yeah. So, like, there, anybody who brings a child to a supermarket... You're not doing it for the crack. You're not doing it for the crack. There's nothing exciting about it, you know? So people only do it as a necessity. So, do you know, like, Scally's response, I'm not surprised with. I think the second response I've seen Biden. Um, I, do you know, my, I suppose my fight at the moment isn't really with Scally's, but more, I suppose, at the, at the leaders of super values because this isn't just happening with them. It's been happening in a couple of places around around the country. Mm. Mary from Douglas says if he's from Cargilline he should go to that shop. Mary, we're allowed to go anywhere in the county so I'm not sure that's um that's you know there's no rule that says that. Stephen, thanks for that. Just to be to be clear, um I'll thank you Stephen, we'll talk to you again soon. Um I will mention as well they do have a dedicated shopping time for families from ten to eleven AM each morning and again in the evenings. Um so they do have family time that you can go. But if you're passing through Clon, which you are fully entitled to be at this point in time if you are from the county um, then th- that doesn't obviously work for you. Um, it's, yeah, I mean, like that super value is a stop-off point for people on their way to anywhere That's in West Cork. Too, and like. of course, we'll all be going, hopefully, at some point in the summer down to West Cork um, for, for a couple of days or whatever, if we can, if we're taking our staycation. And you'll know that you can't go to Scally's if you are not at the right time and you have kids. It's, it's a bit surprising and it isn't a universal super value policy. As far as I know, as he said, they don't have that in Cargilline. As far as I know, they don't have it in my local one in Cove. Um, Lorraine is on the line as well about this. Hi, Lorraine. Hi, Hori. Not too bad, I, Lorraine. You had a similar incident. I did actually down there. I tell you, I turned on the radio and I, I heard the man's conversation. And even before, I didn't hear the store he was talking about, but I knew it. And then he mentioned Bandon, so I knew I had the right store. Mm. I have a letter because I have a 9 and 13 year old autistic kids, right? And I have a letter. I never used this. I never went outside our 5K. Yeah. Just before the lockout, I locked, um, the lockdown was um, extending to 20. I actually used it one day to go down to the beach, right? It was the Tuesday before the 20K came in. Yeah. And I, so it was quiet. I went down and I said, before we went down to in Shidani, I ran in just to get washed with our um, ham and bread and rolls and stuff, you know, for the beach. And... I went in and sanitised our, our hands and the man said, no children allowed. At that stage, there was no children allowed. Oh. And I said, I thought this was um, autism-friendly tone. And um, as I have a card and one of my children is non-verbal would slap his hand, so it's quite obvious that yeah. the child is special needs. So he said, no, but I mean, don't get me wrong, Deirdre, he did offer to get someone to do my shopping. But I okay. said, I, do, I, was kind of, I was kind of up in a heap when he kind of said it to me. So what I did is I... I said she knew because I, I wasn't sure like what bread the children would eat and I wasn't sure what that shop actually had. Do you know what I mean? So I was kind of been in a flap. So he did. He, he he pointed out the bench. It is kind of turned in towards the door or whatever. So I gave my children the phone and left them sit down. Now I regret it. I didn't, I shouldn't have done it. Like my thirteen year old is nonverbal, 
But I know if I give him the phone, he'll sit there for two yeah. or three minutes. I ran around the shop for that, even water, the basic thing you need when you're going to the beach. Yeah. And I came out. Now, I was going to ring as I am, you know what I mean? The way they're, the way they kind of recommended the whole town and they said, yeah. you know what I mean? Whatever and this is Clon you're talking about, so it's, it's the same Clonical supermarket. Field, yeah. Exactly the same supermarket. Now, yeah. we ran in, I ran out, because I knew, like, if you tell the children, you can, you're can, you going to get them something. So we were on the way to the beach. I said, I had to go in because they'd get all upset and we'd have a meltdown and it wasn't worth it. Mm. But, I mean, I was shocked because I said, well, what if I came back? He said, um, Tuesday between six and seven. Oh, you know, on your I way said, to the beach, that's not much good to you. Yeah, so he said you can come into the shop. Without, and I said, so if I come like on the way back out because it was annoying. I said on the way back out. So I said if I come back on Tuesday between six and seven o'clock that evening, like he said, um, oh, oh, at the t- he said only one member of uh, family is allowed into the shop at the time. So even if I came back with my children at that specific autism time, okay. I wouldn't have been allowed. So that's obviously been suspended for the lockdown. Yes, I say people complained. I, I didn't. I'll be honest with you. I was going to ring you and I was going to contact as I am, but I, did, I get upset when, when they kind of discriminate against kids anyway, yeah. regardless of their special needs or not. But they definitely have changed their policy. But still, as the man said, the only parent, he's got two kids, five and seven. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? That's wrong. You can't do that. Now, I'm lucky mine are nine and 13, but they are special needs. No, I left them there with the phone. And if I didn't have the phone, I wouldn't have been able to. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. They'll stick their heads into the phone for a few minutes. But I mean, it was wrong. I shouldn't have done it. Now, the boy was sitting there or whatever, but. It was wrong, though. So I'd say lots of people have complained about it because yeah. they have changed the policy. Well, it's not nice through. to be forced into doing something that you wouldn't do otherwise, like in, in terms of leaving them there. But, no. I mean, yeah, it is disappointing. I mean, you can understand their point of view, I suppose, in terms of keeping people safe and infection control and all that. But there does have to be, I suppose, some bit of understanding that everybody's situation is unique. Like Stephen there, who was speaking earlier, I'm not sure if you recognised him, but Stephen's wife, Irene, died in the cervical cancer scandal a couple of years ago. That's his Stephen is. So, I mean, you know, he doesn't have somebody else to look after them. I don't know what your own situation is, but... No, no, I have a husband, but he was working with the yeah. after bank holiday weekend. But, like, what I'm saying, it's just it's unfair on the kids, and you're you're stuck here. When you're stuck, you don't bring... I mean, I don't bring kids to the shop, I, unless I stop. My, my my husband works in Pat my town in pain, so they went back after two weeks. So and you know what? Fair play to him and all his colleagues, because they kept the whole place going. <laughs> They did. They gave pain to everyone in the world. But the thing is, I got stuck. What I'm saying is, like, I, I'm people look at me. I kind of go, I don't bring a child to a supermarket. Yeah. It could be once a week. My, 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 my older fellow loves because he's non-verbal. He loves running. He loves going to the, the supermarket to pick out what he wants himself because yeah. he can't tell you. He can pick it out himself. But I don't bring a child to a supermarket unless I'm really stuck. Yes, like my husband is working today now, and I have the two boys. So if I need to go for bread, which you know, now after the long week, after the weekend and stuff like that, or roll something. Well, so with two boys, Lorraine, you couldn't keep bread in the house anyway. Yeah. But you're stuck. I mean, and that man is stuck. You know what I mean? Yeah. He has to go with his kids. And I mean, what they want to do is leave it in the car the same day. It was boiling out of the heavens when I, you know what I mean? It was scorching the same day. That's why we were going to the beach. So people have complained. I can guarantee you'll get more calls than this year. I can guarantee it. Okay, Lorraine, thanks a million for, for right. the call. Thanks. It's, it's, I suppose it's interesting to hear that Stephen's case isn't an isolated one. Um, and... To go back to what Scali said, they did reply and say, um, they replied to him initially on Twitter and said they have shopping time for families from 10 to 11am each morning and again in the evenings. Now I think a couple of the comments we're getting are from people who are local, say to Clon or whatever, and they're saying, well you know, people should shop in their own local supermarket to help prevent the spread. There is something in that, but I suppose as we get back to a normal life, we have to be allowed to do some normal things, and if you want to go to the beach or you want to go for a drive or whatever, which you are perfectly entitled to do now, um, are you not also entitled to get provisions on the way or nearby? Um, I mean, the whole of West Cork relies on tourism for 
for you know for the economy to be kept going but if tourists aren't able to do things like buy groceries that's going to make it very difficult Steve on WhatsApp says Tesco and Ballincollig doesn't allow kids either they have their own rules which we should honour Scally's put in the rule of one person only allowed to shop so that it would eliminate long queues which is working I have three kids and we just work around it no big deal they cannot alter a rule as an exception for one family Steve you have three kids but you don't mention if you have a partner if, if your kids have a mother and I think that's relevant in this case. Caller says you have to do what you're told. The supermarkets are facing an incredibly stressful situation and the staff are risking their lives. Whatever they say I would do because you don't know how hard it is. That's a fair point as well. Um, another caller says, Hi Opinion Line, I work as a security guard in shops and I'm starting my shift so I can't come in the air. None of the shops that I've worked in have a policy against children but I think anti-child policies were initially because kids were in school with hundreds of other kids. Also shops have a maximum allowed capacity so if a family of five come in to do one shop that's unfair of the queue, on the queue of people waiting outside all fair points. If you want to come in on that 0833 96 96 96 is the number you can text or WhatsApp and you might remember a few months ago Ruth Coppinger and the doll brought up this case, this situation in Dublin where women who were looking to rent rooms on um, Daft I think mainly I suppose that's where you go, uh, were being told that instead of paying rent they could pay their rent basically in sexual favour as well. It turns out that there is now somebody in Cork uh, doing this as well and Gavin O'Callaghan from Cork Bio will speak to me about that in just a moment. Stay tuned for that. This is Cork's Gold Imro Award winning Talk show, The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Call us now, 1850 715 996 on Courts 96 FM. So not only in Dublin is the sex for rent thing happening, it is now also a feature of the rental market in Cork, just when you thought the housing situation couldn't get any worse. Gavin O'Callaghan from Cork Bio. Gavin, I gather this one is even more sordid than some of the ones we've seen in Dublin. Uh, hi, Dee. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, this one's a little bit different because um, there's a few differences with the one that Ruth Coppinger had been describing there last year. Um, the man in this case isn't actually the landlord, he's a tenant in the house, so it was his responsibility to fill the room, but he wouldn't have been the one financially pocketing office. And the women that were involved, were, they had all inquired, but um, they would still were expected to pay for the room itself, which I think was about €120 Euro a week. Now, it was only upon kind of rejecting his advances that they were then subsequently either ignored or told the room was no longer available. So there was a few little bit differences, but still very, very inappropriate stuff, all right. Okay, so this guy was in charge of filling a room in the house. He's a tenant himself. There's somebody else living in the house as well. Uh, yeah, so there was one other woman living in the house and um, she's probably wondering why there seemed to be a lot of interest in this room, but yes, nobody was taking it, but she was completely unaware as, as to what was going on. And have you spoken to her as well? Um, no, we hadn't managed to get in contact with her, unfortunately. Okay, so as I far as you know, she's unaware. The women who had, had met her all right and they, they said she didn't seem to seem to know at all. Okay, so girls were getting in contact with this guy he was coming back saying you know come and look at the room or whatever and how did it how did it progress from there okay so it all kind of came to light there last thursday there was one woman she was 19 she's from the, the west of cork and she had inquired about the room and you know things seemed to be going all right she was chatting away and as you do when you're looking for a house you kind of try and gauge the person to see is this somebody i could get along with and things like that and he was being quite positive telling her about the room now, she never ended up actually meeting the man, but 
at some point it just turned to him saying, oh yeah, we can go out, we can go dancing, and we can go back to the house and have sex. And like straight off the bat, she says, I'm not going to have sex with you. And that's when he, you know, he, he started kind of, are you sure? And started pestering a bit via messages. And then eventually was just kind of pawned off and said, okay, the room's no longer available. Sorry about that. But the ad stayed up and other people had been getting in contact in the meantime. So she was a bit missed at this and she wanted others to be aware of what was going on with this house. So she got onto one of the Cork accommodation groups on Facebook and she put up a post. So we got in contact with her and we started having a chat and she was showing us some messages. And next thing you know, as this post was kind of growing on Facebook, more and more women started coming forward with very similar stories. So we started talking to them all and then a few of them had actually met him. So um, they said like he seemed quite nice in person. The, the viewings all kind of went normal and there was nothing wrong. And then it was only later then they'd get kind of a message and he would ask for a favour or he'd ask for something else. And when they all firmly rejected him, then all of a sudden they were told the room, there was no room there for them. Wow, so Corkio knows the identity of this man and you've spoken to him, I think. Um, yeah, no, he hasn't He hasn't got very good English, so he wouldn't he wouldn't take a direct phone call with us, but he was replying to us by text. Um, initially, he seemed to only think that we were aware of one of the women, so he said it was a misunderstanding. He said it was due to his poor English and that he had never asked for sex. But then once we presented him with a range of other people who had come forward, that's when he made a full apology then and said he made a mistake and and that it won't happen again. Wow. And has anybody yeah. reported this to the guards or is there an offence in, in question? Um, nobody's reported to the guards and when I asked a few about this, they said they wouldn't want the guardy involved. Now, as far as I'm aware, there is no offence. You know, there's no... You know, it's it's not a crime to ask mm. for sex. You know, it's just a time and a place and there's appropriate times to do it. And when you're dangling a room in front of somebody who really needs one, that's definitely not a time to do it. Mm. An old trip from the boys, a visit from the boys in blue might do many harm. All the same, <laughs> it's often a good, uh, a it good. Yeah, it might, might scare him off, exactly. Gavin from yeah, Gavin O'Callaghan from Corkbeo, thanks very much for speaking to us this morning about that. So uh, be wary, people, if you're going looking for rental accommodation, that if you do encounter this kind of behaviour, um, you can report the ad to Daft as well and they will remove it if somebody is um, making inappropriate suggestions to you um, in that of that nature. You know, it's funny, I was talking to somebody a bit older than me about this recently and um, they said, you know, this has always gone on and, you know, that it's just that now it's it's online and people can actually show messages that have been exchanged rather than you know relying on verbal accounts if this is something you ever encountered as as a younger person renting a room or something that you you have encountered recently uh, do let us know 0833 96 96 96 kind of seems like um he didn't realize he'd been caught and once he did it was uh uh, he was a bit of a quiet boy once he had been realised but it's um it's kind of endemic there was a lot going on on Twitter about this sort of thing over the weekend too and there just seems to be we're, we're dealing with one virus but there seems to be another one out there too um, which we won't go into in any more detail for legal reasons um, going back to uh, Clonakilty and the shopping they're not the only supermarket to do that um, Finn says Super Value in Black Rock was the same asking people was it essential to have the child etc I think is the most grave thing because 
because Tesco are on point. The kids are welcome. Um, someone else says it might be more of a Musgraves thing, but I think all the chains leave it to the manager locally. Tesco Paul Street is quite liberal. Other branches, not so much. Yes, yeah, somebody else mentioned another Tesco that isn't allowing kids. So it obviously does seem that um, it's up to local managers. And actually, I have to say the majority of the texts replying to this are um, backing up the supermarket. Michelle says, I went through the whole of lockdown with two kids of my own. I managed to not go to the shop once with them, got someone to do my shop or did click and collect. Lots of shops help out that way. Um, Mag says, since all of this started, I've consciously avoided taking my children into supermarkets, but my husband is a frontline worker and at times I've had to take them with me and there's never been an issue. Stephen is right about Barry Collins. They're fantastic. What a cute virus COVID has given its apparent ability to tell the time. It will hide for the designated hours set aside for families to shop with kids, but will run rampant if you bring them any other time of the day. It's a silly policy. Yeah, Mags, I kind of, I suppose it's in case you have people who are elderly or vulnerable or otherwise upset you know and, and worried about their own chance of contracting it in the shop like I can understand that and you want to make them feel welcome and comfortable but I don't know it's a very hard one to know I have to say though the majority of texts do seem to be backing up Scallies somebody else says Mount Carmel Nursing Home Clannacilty is a short distance from Scallies they had an outbreak Scallies rules are sensible now Aidan is on the line to talk about Magazine Road I'm not sure I'm going to get him because I have to take this break um, but I'll fill you in on what's going on there next the Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With the Solid Fuel Depot at Drew's Filling Station, Turner's Cross. Open every day for all your solid fuels. Barbecue gas and charcoal. Solidfueldepot.ie This is Cork's Gold Imro Award winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now. 0833 969696. On Cork's 96FM. We've been talking a lot over the last few weeks about the Magazine Road area, Magazine Road, College Road, and the house parties and the noise, pollution and that kind of thing that's been reported up there. And uh, residents of the Magazine Road um, area held a vigil at a house on the Model Farm Road over the weekend in relation to the disturbances in the area. They were pleading for a crackdown on house parties and rented property, which is fair enough. But they've taken the campaign now to the door of a landlord rather than to the door of the young people having the party who are renting the house. Um, They brought this protest to the home of one of the landlords who rents out a number of properties close to UCC and they said another house party, this vigil I think was on Friday, another house party kicked off in one of his properties on Highfield Avenue continuing into the early morning. Now the landlord did come uh, to the property on Friday with a van to collect bags of empty cans and bottles and he um, sorted out the wheelie bins and all that kind of thing but the residents have had enough. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan on Courts 96 FM. And it's Dee here back with you on the Opinion Line today. If there's something you want to talk about, 0833969696 is the number to text or WhatsApp. You can call me on 1850-715-996. Now, I mentioned before the news that Magazine Road has obviously been the subject of quite a lot of discussion on the show for the last few weeks. But, excuse me, but the residents have decided that now they're going to target the landlords with their protests. So they held a protest, basically, outside the door of one of these landlords' 
and they reckon that now it's it's the landlords really they need to be dealing with and not the residents. It, and I, I have a feeling from the press release that they sent us this isn't going to be the only landlord they protest. I'm not naming them because the landlord themselves declined to come on air and there is more than one at issue here. So Catherine Clancy told us in a press release we just can't take this anymore and our patience has run out. Many landlords in the area are taking absolutely no responsibility for the hurt and damage that they're causing. The, the, there are families, elderly residents, children living in the area and that people having house parties don't care and neither do many of the landlords. On Friday we were left with no choice but to go to the house of one landlord in particular after we had tried to contact him on numerous occasions but nothing has changed. A joint letter last week from the HSE Cork City Council and the Gardaí two landlords has made no difference and this week the COVID-19 lockdown house parties continued. Hi Aidan. Hello. Oh, there you are. Hello. Hi Hello, Aidan. Sorry Hi. about How that. Okay. Aidan, so tell me, you protested outside one of the landlord's own personal homes on Friday. Is this something you're going to be doing again? Yeah. What I'd like to explain first is that we didn't protest, okay? What we okay. did actually was we travelled from our homes, I think that's important to state, to his home, okay? These are our homes that we travelled from out to his home. And the reason we did it, to be honest with you, is that this is the fifth consecutive week now where we have all-night parties with properties of landlords and this particular landlord being one of the main offenders. Last Thursday evening, and this was the culmination of, of, of a bad week, last Thursday evening, that landlord was contacted about some rubbish in his front garden with a request to remove it, and he was tipped off about a party about to start off in the house. And at 2 a.m., residents requested the people at the party to quieten down. They refused and said they were perfectly entitled to make as much noise as they wanted. So then they contacted this particular landlord. He obviously wasn't contactable. Then they rang the guardie. The guard called out. They moved. The party stopped 20 minutes later, restarted again. The guards were called again. And this is a regular, regular occurrence in the area, not just at this house, but other houses. But this particular landlord has a history of just not engaging with his tenants or not engaging with a residents association. So we decided, look, at short notice, we would do something symbolic, if you like, by travelling from our homes out to his house. Now, we could have organised a big protest and picket. We didn't. We just got a small group of four or five people who stood outside his house with respect our community, landlords, stop your landlords or stop your COVID-19 parties. That's all. It lasted three quarters of an hour. Mm. Now, the reaction, I suppose, what we will do in the future depends on the reaction of other landlords and this particular landlord. But we need we need closure on this. Uh, to be honest with you, now, five weeks of this and it's ongoing night after night. There was another one of his properties on Sunday morning at 4 a.m. Um, where the Gardaí had to be called on College Road. Like, this isn't acceptable. Like, in a residential area, we accept it. we're in a student area, but we're also a residential area with some young families, some elderly people, some HSE workers in the bonds and the CUH. Mm. We have UCC staff living in the area. This just isn't, is, is not acceptable. Now, and this is despite a very strong recommendation from Dr. Anne Sheehan, a, a specialist in public health medicine, the Chief Superintendent Barry McPolin and that Doherty Chief uh, Executive of the Crop City Council. And like there seems to be no, n- n- nothing nothing back from the landlord. Mm-hmm. It's just, again, last night, even in my own area, the, the guards were called to a house because of drug taking. Like, I, don't, I don't know where this is going to end. We're getting totally frustrated. And last Friday, 
silent vigil outside this man's house was actually the culmination of that frustration. And I don't know, it, it, it looks like we'll have to continue or go further. And, oh, you know, it, we're, we're becoming exasperated, to be honest with you. Know. We're physically tired and mentally mm. of, of what's gone on. Yeah, Aidan, I mean, I sympathise with you really because I can't imagine what it's like to um, to be living with that. And I suppose you're talking about the last few weeks, but of course this isn't a new thing. You've been dealing with this for years. It's just during the lockdown, it's obviously exacerbated. Um, what do you want the landlords to do? What can they do? Oh, they can, they, like, they can, they have 50, 60 people inside in the house at a party. First of all, during all the COVID-19 um, restrictions, that was against all restrictions. And they could have evicted the tenants. The tenants have this thing that you can't be evicted. You can be evicted for, for misbehaviour. You can't be evicted for non-payment of rent. Mm. Okay? And we have Gary, we have local Gary here who come to us on a regular basis and they're very frustrated. It's firefighting. Like the landlords have the landlords have more authority than anybody else in this in that they can evict their tenants or get rid of them or insist that they do not they can respond to the calls at midnight and two o'clock in the morning and three o'clock in the morning, but they won't. This particular landlord arrived at two o'clock on Friday afternoon to collect the rubbish bins, and he had he, he needed a van, a full van to take away all the rubbish and bottles and cartons and cans that came out of that house, and it's just that's just not acceptable. It's not acceptable, and that's why that's why we did go to his house. I, I, and I stress again, we went from our homes to his home. Mm. It wasn't and a ticket I suppose, and it wasn't a protest. Yeah. It was a silent vigil. And I guess part of your what you're stressing there is he doesn't live in the area. He doesn't have to put up with this. Oh, no. Absolutely not. And he doesn't respond. We met this particular landlord on the 24th of October last year. And we decided we wouldn't take any notes or anything at the meeting. We just thought we'd great have a friendly chat. And he accepted no responsibility for the behaviour that goes on in his properties. He blamed UCC and the pubs. Now, at the moment, UCC is closed and the pubs are closed. Mm. So, like, the responsibility has to lie with him. If a party starts in his house and it goes on until three or four in the morning with noise and people jumping around the place and having boom radios on, that's his responsibility. Yeah, it's a fair point. Now, we did contact the landlord in question and they said all these students, young people have achieved a lot so far and they all come from good families, which may be true, but doesn't solve the problem of that no, they're all no, so no, mad party animals. Yeah, like a lot of these people... You can be all of those are, things at the same time. Yeah, you can. And a lot of these people are coming from the suburbs of Cork City, you know, Bishopstone, Ballancolleg, Douglas, Rochestown, and they're also coming from all over the country. Mm. You can see all the county colours that are being worn around the place. And I'm not saying they're all students. Yeah. Some of them, like one of the houses that we heard of over the weekend were four teachers. You yeah. Know? Um, but they're, they're generally young people. Some are maybe leaving cert. Some are UCC students. We've, we've already um, initiated a complaint process against one student who is a UCC student. We know the people in Highfield Avenue the other night. We were told that they were celebrating their exam results. So the UCC exam results came out over the weekend. So that's what, so obviously they're UCC students. Mm. So it's a mix of all these young people. But the landlords have the power to put an end to it. Yeah. And they are the people. Like, as I said, the, the, the HSE, the guards and the city council have issued a very strong statement and have contacted all the landlords with a view to taking action. 
and nothing has happened. Like five weeks now. Like and there's no legal no provision, Aidan, for you to actually kind of pursue. I know that in the press release, Catherine Clancy says in the press release that you know you've 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 contacted all the authorities. That now I think you're going to make a complaint to the PRTB. But is that something We're, that is effective? We don't know. Like the PRTB is a slow process. Mm. Obviously, we're looking for the reason we're appealing to landlords is to make it an immediate impact. Yeah. The PRTB is going to be a long process, and if it means that we end up getting house closed down or whatever, so be it. But we'll also use other government investigative agencies if we have to. Now, that's something that's long term, obviously. Mm. But but in the meantime, we need the landlords to do something to put an end to these parties. Like, it's absolutely ridiculous that this went on on Thursday evening into Friday morning, 2 to 4 a.m. And then on Sunday morning, that land, another property belonged to that landlord with exactly the same problem, and the Gardaí called at 4 a.m. Like, that's... Like, that... The landlords need to take responsibility for what's going on in their properties. Now, what it does show is for us is that there's a complete lack, weak or a weak legislation in terms of landlords. Landlords seem to be a protected species. Mm. And we feel that... They, the legislation must be introduced urgently by any new government to make landlords responsible for the condition of their property and for the behaviour and the health and safety of their tenants. And that's not happening. That's not there at the moment. We also need City Council to enact bylaws or to be given the powers to enact bylaws to prevent two- and three-bedroom residential houses in our area being converted into six, seven, eight, nine, and ten-bedroom mm student accommodation but that's all long term in the meantime we need to get some night's sleep and some com- like we're physically and mentally exhausted from this like every morning you wake up people are calling to you if you haven't got messages overnight that there's a problem in a house it's one it's Glashing Road one day it's Magazine Road the next day it's Highfield Avenue it's Highfield West it's St. Clair's Avenue it's College Road it's just ongoing every night of the week like it's exhausting. Yeah, Aidan, I do. I really sympathise with you. Now, I'm conscious that the last day, um, the the Monday, indeed, that we covered this story, that a couple of men had kind of um, come into one of the houses um, and smashed bottles inside it. I'm conscious we received a lot of messages that day from young people living in the area who said they were being very responsible and they were, you know, there was maybe six of them in the house and that was the only group that were there. Um you know, would you acknowledge as well, just to be, I suppose, to be balanced about it, Absolutely. that there are plenty of them there just getting on with their lives and not interfering there, with anyone? Yeah, and the park I'm living, there's two or three rented houses there. There's only one house that's active. You know, on Magazine Road, we have plenty of houses where there's great relations between the young people next door mm. and the elderly residents. Absolutely. There's a cohort of houses. You, you could pick them out. I mean, I can call out the address. And would it be those houses every year? Yeah. More or less, more or less. So there's different more people in them, but they're the party houses. They're the same houses, yeah. I mean, I could, mm. I, off the top of my head, I could name out, I could name out seven or eight houses, or little terraces where, where this goes on. And the problem is, as far as we're concerned, like our, again, we've met, we've met the Gardaí, we've met City Council, we've met uh, UCC, and UCC need to get in on the act. CCC need to get in on the act. Cork mm. City Council. But at the moment, like, we're on our own. Like, the only people that are helping us at the moment are the local community guards who respond to our messages. Yeah. But all they're doing is firefighting. None of the authoritative bodies are getting involved at all at all. Yeah. And 
like they can put more pressure than anybody on landlords. We're just ordinary civilians. I mean, we the other day outside this man's house, we were totally outside our comfort zone. That this isn't what we do. Yeah. Like, that's not us. That's not us. You know, like we're not we're not rent to picket crowds or anything. Like we're just ordinary people who want to live peacefully in their home. We have lovely neighbours, young neighbours, young students. Mm. Absolutely, absolutely, we have young neighbours who are students and don't cause us a bottom bother and they integrate within within our community. Like we we hear a lot of talk from city council and UCC about a sustainable community. Like the community is here. It's up to city council and the landlords and city council and UCC to turn it into a sustainable community. What's happening is the community is being threatened with extinction because mm-hmm. of all these Aidan, I'll just read you a comment. Now, the comments, I have to say, are about half and half in, in your favour, if you know what I mean, that are yeah. coming in from people on calls and, and WhatsApp. Um, David says, how about the residents on that street? Get over it. Parties happen everywhere, all over the city and county, all year round. I live next to a pub outside of COVID-19. Do you think that's peaceful? No, it's not. I wear earplugs. People don't launch week-long campaigns in other parts of the city or county. They just ask them to keep it down, and if they don't, they call the Gardaí. Yeah, and that's what we do. We call the Gardaí, but this is every night. Every night, and it's 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 like this, these parties started. I mean, we had a spring clean last Saturday week. Okay, we started at half past ten in the morning, and the young people were passing us with slabs of beer at twenty to eleven because the off license had just opened up. So that was a party starting at twenty to eleven on the Saturday morning and going right through into Sunday. So like, it's not you can't compare this area with other areas and say, oh, it happens in odd time in our area. This goes on every night here. For yeah, the last I suppose it's worth, it's worth pointing out as well that a pub needs planning permission. A rented house doesn't. No. So no. you could object and to a pub being put into your area, but you can't object to someone renting out a house. Yeah. And this all started off as a health issue anyway, because mm. with 50, 60 people inside in the health, we had cocooned for 10, 12 weeks. Yeah. And then we had this invasion of young people, which was obviously pretty arranged on social media that this was a, a party area, because this isn't happening in any other area in the country. Not near any university in, a, We're in any other not university. Hearing about city. It, if yeah. it is, yeah. So, and the one thing it, as well that a lot of people will say is that incident a few weeks ago. Um, I I don't know. We haven't heard anything more about that. But I mean, I Catherine Clancy at the time said she didn't know who who that was. Uh, have you identified who that was in in the men that broke no. into that girl's house? I know, uh, no, but what I can categorically say is that it had nothing whatsoever to do with the residents' association. And like, if you hear these people talking, that they are not residents of our of our area. I don't know where they came from. I don't know whether it was a setup or whether they came from outside. I don't know, and I don't know whether the Gardaí have investigated or not. But I, I I can honestly say that our resident association is not that type of resident association. We're just ordinary people who want to live in peace in their own homes, and even today having put up with five weeks of it, we wouldn't recommend that type of action anyway. It's, yeah. it's just not us. It's not us. And as I said, we were out of our comfort zone last Thursday night or Friday evening outside this man's house. But it's, it, we're getting frustrated. It's what we have to do. And I'm not sure where this is leading to. Like, all we want is things to stop. We're not, we're not, like, people, people here don't mind parties. We have no problem with parties. If they go on at 11 at night, no problem. But once it goes beyond the midnight hour and they start shouting and screaming and turning on boom radios, there are elderly and young families living mm-hmm. on either side of these houses. Yeah. And, and this particular landlord just won't engage with us. He just will not engage, despite being the biggest owners of property in the area. 
Right. Hopefully there'll be some kind of response there that's better than what you got, but I, I wouldn't so be holding my breath. But I'm not holding our breath. I, mm. I'm not sure where we go from here, to be honest with you. But okay. we're, like, we're not giving up. Like, this is our home, and we're not, we're not, we're not going to be driven out of our home by either these, these people or these landlords. There's no way. We're, we're here, and this is where we're staying. Okay, Aidan Cahill from Magazine okay. Road. Thank you for that. Uh, listener says on WhatsApp, yeah, and here you go. This is a great example of what Aidan is talking about. 4.45 this morning, a group of lads and girls that were partying decided they would head to the lock for a game of ball. That's okay, but don't bounce the fecking ball off every wall on the way down and then on the way back. It could lead to unnecessary conflict, says that listener. You'd be sure it would lead to unnecessary conflict if they're doing it in my house. Um, Kate says she had a problem in her estate and contacted the landlord with the situation and the residents went to the landlord and within one day the landlord's sorted out the issue after the residents threatened to go to the press. She says you have to go as a group and that the press threat had worked. Yeah, Kate, and I'd say in most residential areas that would work pretty well but unfortunately this magazine road thing, it just is going on for years and years and years and years and they just, as I think Aidan's point his closing point there about that they will not be forced out of the area. A lot of the responses we get to this topic when it comes up year after year is why don't they move? And you know, should they have to move? Like if they grew up in that area, their parents grew up in it or you've couples who bought houses there, why should they move? Shouldn't people be able to live together in peace? Like that's a kind of a fundamental um, right that we have is it's peaceful enjoyment of our homes. Um, it's a difficult one. I don't know. Let me know what you think. 83 3 96 96 96. Back with more in a moment. This is Court's Gold Imro Award winning talk show, The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Call us now, 1850 715 996. On Court's 96FM. So, talking about all of this antisocial behaviour, which we have been talking about for a number of weeks, and of course, that's come hot on the heels of stories that we've had of fights in Rochestown, stories that we've had of that awful stabbing in Cargilline and there has been an awful lot of focus on young people and their role in you know incidents that are happening in and around the city. There was an announcement last week of a new Garda unit for the city which would see um, Garda who are dedicated to tackling antisocial behaviour and drug offences in the city. It's a new street crime unit with one sergeant and eight rank and file members. Now that's not an awful lot when you consider shifts and all the rest of it throughout the city. So they're going to be on the beach and on mountain bikes across the city, including outlying areas stretching to the Maradike Kent Station and the marina. Um, I'm not sure why they need a dedicated unit for that because I would have thought that's what beat Gardaí did anyway. Um, but Cathy Darcy is a youth worker and she has a bit of an issue with the way this is, is being put forward. Hi Cathy. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. 
So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com. Hi, Deirdre, how are things? Cathy, I'm not too bad. Like you, you, I don't know if you were listening there to Aidan speaking from College for Magazine Road and the issues they've had to deal with with primarily young people. I mean, you're talking mm. people in their early 20s there. Um, and listing off all the different incidents we've been covering over the last few weeks, mm-hmm. there does seem to be an issue with um, antisocial behaviour among young people, or am I totally wrong in saying that? Yeah, um, absolutely. And I thought it was so funny that Aidan used the term firefighting because it's one of the things I was going to bring up today because the reason my blood boiled when I saw that announcement and that I tweeted about it um, was because people are continuing, sorry, not people, but our government and a successive governments are continuing to ignore the cause of antisocial behaviour and just to throw more expensive police at the problem and to continue to defund and to underfund things like mental health services for young people and for everyone. And one of the things that really annoyed me once I had sent that tweet was the response from so many people, including elected representatives, who I won't name, uh, who didn't understand what I was saying. Um, and I realised that, because I've been working in this sector for 15 years, mm. I know a lot about the links between all kinds of antisocial behaviour, not just... Um, you know, I suppose, uh, homelessness, but all kinds of antisocial behaviour and early childhood trauma. Mm. And I, I think it's, it's really annoying to me that people don't think for a second about why this might be happening. Why might somebody engage in antisocial behaviour? Again, not just a drunk, homeless person, but anybody. And this idea that some people are just jerks, like they say in The Simpsons, that's not true. And if you do even the slightest amount of reading about adverse childhood events which are more and more in research being shown to cause the vast majority of poor outcomes in uh, young adulthood and throughout adulthood, um, that that's where we need to be focusing our attention. We don't need, as successive governments have been doing, uh, including the two main parties that now seem to be about to form a government, Mm. uh, we don't need to continue to defund uh, services that make people happier and that reduce suffering, and that in fact cost less in the long run than throwing police at the problem. We need to focus our attention on those services so that people with children have access to support, mental health support, uh, so that children in early childhood and childcare are taken care of, and they're not like a second mortgage for people, they are in fact free. That people have time to spend with their children without being in constant fear of eviction or poverty or unemployment. That schools and healthcare are adequately funded, including mental health care, including mental health care for adolescents. And that, and that people can earn a living wage and have a fair working condition. And that people are happier. Like, how aren't people... I'm sorry to be so emotional about this, but how aren't people seeing that? How aren't elected representatives seeing that? How are people still thinking that the solution to antisocial behaviour is policing and locking people up and maybe creating enormous prisons like they have in America and somehow people will learn their lesson and stop behaving in an annoying or an antisocial way? Like, that just 
That really, really does boil my blood. The government put out a document uh, 10 years ago called A Vision for Change, which mm. was about how we would amazingly, you know, fund and resource mental health services. And it's so hurtful. Like, I am genuinely hurt having worked in this sector for so long, about how it was lies. Like, and I cannot, that's not an exaggeration. Like, so much that was promised in that report hasn't come to pass. And now there is a new report, and it's called, or a new policy document, Sharing the Vision. And I'm going, you know what, the vision didn't come to pass, and there's no vision to share with anyone. And I really kind of need people who are, all these angry people who responded to my tweets being like, no, we have to lock them up. These people are, you know... Being bold, and that's all, that's as far as I can think about it. Uh, you need to think about who you voted for, and you need to think about why. Why might people be acting antisocially? It's not just because they're bad, it's because something happened to them, because, in fairness, of our government's failures to provide good standards of living for the vast majority of people in this country. And just in relation to the Magazine Road call, um, I'm glad to see they're targeting the landlords now instead of the mm. young people, but I also want to ask. Have you thought in Magazine Road, I'm talking to Aidan and the rest of the committee, have you thought about why young people who are facing a collapsing future, who will never own a home in a place like Magazine Road, who will probably never have a permanent job, who can't imagine even getting married and having children, have you thought about why those young people might want to drown their sorrows at the moment? And have you thought about reaching out to them and making them feel like part of a community that they currently feel like pariahs in? So that's about everything I have to say about that now. <laughs> Glad you got it all out there. <laughs> yeah, I feel um, better. Thanks. Um, but you know what? The, the adverse childhood experiences thing, it's funny because I had never heard of this um, until yeah. Andrea Leadsom ran for Tory leader. And uh, it's not my usual reading material, but I remember reading her policy platform for Tory leader and she was laughed out of it. She was absolutely treated like an idiot um, when she, her primary focus focus was on um, children up to the age of five and making sure that they were safe and secure and that there was childcare for them and that there was Mm -hmm. um, psychology services for them and and everything. support for their parents. Yeah, because she was looking at these adverse childhood experiences and she literally went, well, if we do this, the crime rate goes down, the antisocial behaviour rate goes down, the employment rate goes up, everything. And they literally looked at her and went, ah, good luck. And now they have Boris Johnson. Yeah, I think she's in the wrong party, to be honest. I yeah. cannot imagine Tory voters, same as I can't imagine Fianna Fáil or Fianna Gael voters, going for that kind of thing because they prefer the old firefighting. Um, it's it, it looks better on paper. Look at the picture with all these guards that we have out on the street. And the people who are really affected are kind of quite silenced and don't... You know, they're not the kind of people that Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael voters end up running into um, at the golf club or whatever. Mm. Um, so I suppose one of the things... A different party that yeah, might work for her. Like, one of the things about the, I mean, the more serious end of the antisocial behaviour now, obviously, parties in Magazine Road are one thing. Um, yeah. And as you say, that's young people blowing off steam to a very large extent yeah. and, and, and just kind of drowning their sorrows. Like, yeah. when I think about them, I do actually have a bit of sympathy because they should be yeah. probably harassing people in neighbourhoods of Boston on their J1 instead of harassing <laughs> residents of Magazine Road. <laughs> But they have lost a lot. But in terms of the more serious end of the scale, like I, you, you live in the city centre, I think, and we work here in in ninety six FM is right in the in the city centre as well. And during the lockdown, particularly, 
the atmosphere in the city was very, very frightening. And I say that as somebody like who is kind of, you know, I'm used to being in the city centre. I don't take much notice of it. A lot of the street drinkers and that, I mean, we know them to see around here because they're regulars. Um, But when you take away all of the other people and you take away normality and you are still left with these people who are, you know, drinking on the streets, taking drugs on the streets, um, Mm -hmm. oftentimes doing other things on the streets because they don't have, you know, a toilet nearby or whatever. Our place to go, yeah. Our place to go. Um, there is a big problem with that. And in terms of, you know, it's, it's I mean, it's too late to, to fix those people's childhoods. But for the rest of us walking around the city, do we not need the street to be made safer now? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I have a couple of things to say about that. First of all, I think it's really telling that, like, these people, as you said, are not new. They were just hidden. They had shelters and hostels to be in. They had squats. They had places they could be hidden away from us, not annoying us, not making us uncomfortable. Mm. And also they were masked by all the normals who were going around about their business. Like I can see from my window, there's there's quite a regular kind of a gathering spot um, for people who I wouldn't have noticed before. They were there. But because there were so many other people around them, I didn't notice them. And now it's all that's there. And I see them. And, you know, it, it does make me frightened and upset in my little fortress of loveliness because mm. uh, I have a home and I'm not addicted to anything um, and obviously you know instinctively I'm like oh I wish those people weren't there but that's that's a really short-sighted reaction first of all yeah we can't fix their childhoods unfortunately but we can help them now much much more than we are there's no needle exchange program in Cork mm. I'm not entirely sure if there's one in Ireland uh, there is certainly no safe place for these people to be even in out of the rain I'm looking across from my window right now at a sleeping bag in the rain that's been left there by a man that I've been watching out my window for for quite some time. And I cannot see how anyone can look at these people and not see that the main emotion going on there is pain, pain and suffering that our government needs to deal with. Yes, as you said, we can't magically fix people who have become so damaged that they are now homeless and on the street drinking, but we can provide them with lots better services than they're getting now. And I think you can look to Scandinavia and other countries like that to see how much better we could be at managing these. And the other thing, as like because of what I'm saying about adverse childhood events, this kind of problem could be reduced, if not eliminated, in one generation. Mm. If we did, um, as you suggested, that that uh, putative Tory leader suggested into the wrong party and, and minded children and minded the parents of children... Um, the other thing I want to say is, like, I understand that there is sometimes a need for the police at the moment. I'm not saying, you know, get rid of the police immediately and, you know, because I don't experience crime on a regular basis, I don't think that we need them. I've had I've had reason to use the police. I get that at the moment because of the mistakes of successive governments. We now have a position where people are in so much pain that they are damaging other people and that they, they're causing fear and discomfort to other people. I don't think a party is a reason for the police. Um, but I get that, you know, crime is being committed and people are being put in danger. But I I know that in the future, if we addressed these problems and if we made these poor people feel safe and loved and heard and protected, that there'd be a need for a hell of a lot less police and a hell of a lot fewer prisons and prison cells. And I don't understand why that's not why we're striving for. What, what, we're, what we're striving for. Like, prisons cost a ton of money and police cost a ton of money. Early childhood costs a drop in the ocean of that when you compare the two. Why? And, and the cost in terms of human suffering is obviously, you know, infinitesimally different. So why are we not, and I'm talking to politicians now, elected representatives, why are we not striving 
to make life a, a place of less suffering uh, rather than throwing um, successive units of police uh, at the problem and filling up prisons with people who actually need to be listened to and helped. Okay, Cathy Darcy, youth worker, thanks for that. Now, we spoke to Catherine Harford from Young Nahini about that quite recently, actually, and they're doing some great work up there um, in relation to all of that. And if, if you have any stories um, of that nature, do get in touch because it's always good to hear um, of kind of positive interventions. We hear a lot about the negative. Uh, we will be talking a little bit more about childhood development and particularly about children over the lockdown the behavioural issues that, that are happening and the difficulty the parents are having um, certainly from social media and anecdotally I'm seeing a lot of parents really at the end of their tether um, but first after this break a really nice story of somebody who went above and beyond and uh, we'll hear about that in a moment This is Court's Gold Imro Award winning talk show The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan Text or WhatsApp now 083 on Quartz 96 FM. This is a lovely story. Natalie, you contacted us wanting to make sure that somebody got recognised for being really kind. Tell us first, what happened to your daughter? Well, she was running for the ice cream van. I didn't let her get it the last week, I'd say it's been coming. And I was like, no, no, with the virus. And then I said, look, she was she was so good that day. I said, you can go get an ice cream. She ran down the road, fell off the footpath, broke her wrist. Oh, <laughs> she didn't no. even get her ice cream. Oh, she did she like, trip over the edge of the footpath? Yeah, tripped over the edge, fell onto the road, broke her wrist. Oh, jeepers, the poor thing. And how I, old is she? She's eight. She's oh, eight. Dear. Yeah. Never broken a bone or anything in her life. So, so off to A&E and the whole so lot. Off to A&E and the whole lot. <laughs> Oh so, my God! And is she okay? Was she okay after it? She's okay now. Yeah, she's delighted now because all she wants to do in her whole life is break a bone. So she's it's like a it's like a badge <laughs> of honor now. She's going to and everyone. Has she got a cast for people to write on? <laughs> it's not a big cast. It's like more like a splint. She had a cast for one day because her wrist was so small they couldn't get a proper one. So I had to go back up the next day and get like a little splint then for her. So it's it's lovely now the one she is on. It's easier for her to sleep with and stuff. Oh, the poor little thing though. I so know. that was Thursday. So she ran all excited for ice cream. So she's no ice cream obviously the no whole way through lockdown. Ice cream. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and so afterwards what happened? So I didn't know but my aunt actually knew the ice cream man and when he she told him what had happened and when he found out what happened, he arrived at my door at seven o'clock Friday afternoon sirens ringing right outside our front door and my daughter's face now if you've seen it, it was like Christmas morning and he gave her free ice cream and her little cousin was here as well so they got free ice cream he gave her a huge tub and he absolutely like refused any payment or whatsoever oh god yeah. isn't that lovely so he did like he hadn't seen her fall or anything she was on his way on her way down and he hadn't seen yeah. what happened no he hadn't seen what happened my partner actually saw what happened because she he was watching her down the road to make because I was like I just knew she was going to fall. Oh, so he was watching her and then so the icy man didn't see, but my aunt had told him that afternoon because I think she's friends with him, but I like I don't know him. But yeah. his name is um, Jamie Williams. He's okay. actually from Carrigatool. And I think his van is called Emerald Ices. And this, you were in Cove, so this was going around yeah, Cove, Cove, was it? Yeah, yeah. So he came all the way down from Carrigatool and stopped just outside our house just for her. That and, like, is just lovely. I just thought it was such a nice gesture for her. Like, I just, I just, I was just blown away by, like, his generosity as well. Like, he wouldn't take any money, like, absolutely nothing. 
Oh my God. Do you know something? Every every time you get a story like that, it really kind of restores your faith in people, doesn't it? Yeah, I think especially in these times, I feel like the news is all bad. Like everyone's like feeling down and the yeah. news is just, there's just so many like bad things that I like. There has to be some positive and like he really just shows that there's still so many positive things out there. Oh, fantastic. So what's your, what's yeah. your daughter's name? Amelia. Amelia. So, yeah. poor Amelia. Hopefully, uh, she'll get a few of the friends to write on the cast if they can fit their yeah. names on it. <laughs> I know. Oh, dear God, love her. She's delighted. Oh, dear. But at least she got her ice cream in the end. I know that you'll be his she best did. customers now, anyway, the next I time know. he comes. I know. I'm like, every time he comes, I'm going to have to get an ice cream from him. <laughs> That's, it's good business apart from being really nice so Chamber Williams fair play to you yeah. and uh, that's that's a lovely thing that you did a lovely gesture Natalie thanks for getting in touch thanks about that much. that's lovely thanks to hear me. fair play because uh, you just don't hear enough of those positive things but Jamie Williams the emerald ice cream from Caritool uh, came back to find uh, Amelia after she fell and broke her wrist running in excitement to go and see him came back to find her and gave her free ice cream and come up with the music blaring and everything and made a bit of an occasion for her that's really lovely um, God love them like talking to Cathy about this earlier the young people and the kids like I kind of had this conversation with somebody recently that when you're I wouldn't put myself class myself as old now before anyone rings in and gives out to me but when you have experienced a lot of the you know uh, markers of, of you know those kind of milestones in life so all throughout childhood it's full of milestones you obviously have your you know finishing primary school you have communions confirmations you have um, graduations and leaving starts and junior starts and all of those things and all of these kids have missed whatever their milestone was due to be this year they've missed them now for most adults we don't have that year on year we just have like this year and the next year and you know you'll be thinking back you would be like was that the year I was living in that house or was that the year I did that job or was that the year that you know the child was this age because that's what you start measuring it off but these kids all have milestones that they've missed and some of them they can't get back really like there's you know they're not going to be some of them might go back and repeat their leave insert but whatever way that happens next year it'll probably be different to before Um, you know the ones that are up in Magazine Road maybe I'd love to know how many of them were supposed to be gone on the J1 or gone to a college abroad or gone working somewhere kind of more interesting than their local spa Um, and they can't do that now and that's something that you don't get to do really as an adult unless you kind of pick a very different path in life Um, and I'm going to talk next to Dr Jennifer McMahon who's conducting a study coast Space Ireland, um, which is about how kids have been spending their time in the lockdown and the stressors for the parents. In the UK, in a similar study in the UK, the primary parent stressor was well-being of the family and the kids. And in Ireland, it's education. And we're not really sure why that is. So I'll talk to her about this in a minute. But um, let me know how your kids have been finding it your kids, your teenagers. I was speaking to somebody else the other day who just, their kids are so lonely because they don't get to see their friends. And at this point, my little fella, it, back in the playground, like the thought of playing with another child, he's just like over the moon. And that's quite, that's quite difficult for them. Jennifer McMahon for, uh, is on the line and I'll speak to her in just a moment. Stay tuned for that. This is Court's Gold Imro Award-winning talk show, The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Call us now, 1850-715-996. On Court's 96FM. A UK study has found that children have shown an increase in mental health difficulties during the lockdown. So children aged 4 to 10 years of age, according to their parents and carers, there were increase in the child's emotional difficulties, feeling unhappy, worried, being clingy and experiencing physical symptoms associated with worry. And there is a similar study being conducted at the moment in Ireland and Dr Jennifer McMahon from UL is involved with that. Hi Jennifer, how are you today? 
Morning, how are you? I'm good, thank you. Thanks good. For having me on. In terms of your study, is it is does it have a similar remit to the one that was conducted in the UK? Yeah, so um, the study that's conducted in the UK is called Coastbase. So it's um, uh, COVID-19 supporting parents, adolescents and children during ep- epidemics. So it's designed to look at how our young people are coping during the pandemic um, and what families and young people might need uh, with a view to pro- providing evidence on that. So we're actually running a similar parallel study called Coastbase Ireland. So it's a, an offshoot from Coastbase UK. Uh, the study is also running in other jurisdictions like Denmark and the US and Australia. So I suppose in the long run, the hope would be that we could compare data from other countries and see how Ireland fared um, compared to other places. But also, I suppose we want to document changes in our own young people. Um, I suppose the Coastbase UK would be looking at young people in the UK, which is a very different context to Ireland. So we're running Coastbase UK. It's a team of researchers from UL. Um, and I'm, I'm the lead researcher on that. Okay. Now, I'm caught for time on the news, but I know that you're okay to come back to me afterwards. Yes, so just one question before we go to the news. Um, you've done your first snapshot three weeks ago. And what, have you got findings from that? Or have you got kind of an idea of, of what you're going to find from that? Yes. Yeah, so we, at the moment, we have about 1,400 parents have taken part in the study. So the first snapshot looked at the first 500 parents. And we issued the first snapshot on the 13th of May. Um, and so the what we found from that was the first 500 parents into the study were reporting as their top three stressors. The first one was their child's education. The second stressor was work, even where jobs were secure. And mm. then the third top stressor was their children's screen time. So, you know, we thought that was an interesting mix of how, how the priorities of parents at that time and the, their concerns around their children, which did differ from the first snapshot from the UK, which had where parents prioritised different aspects. I suppose they although parents were also stressed about their child's education in the UK, it wasn't the number one stressor. Interesting. Um, hold, yeah. hold that thought, Jennifer, and we'll come back to that about the education just after the news because um, those th- three things sound certainly very familiar in my house, even though uh, luckily my children aren't in school yet, but I think anyone I know who's been homeschooling has found it really, really difficult. Um, we'll be back to that after the news. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan on Courts 96 FM. And if you're just tuning in, it's dear to hear in for PJ on this uh, Monday morning. It is clearing up a little bit out there, so hopefully we'll have a nice afternoon to look forward to, um, particularly after after the beautiful blustery day we had yesterday. I hope everybody had a nice Father's Day, by the way. We didn't mention that at all. Speaking of parenting, of course, I was speaking there before the news to Dr. Jennifer McMahon in UL, who is conducting a study, Co-Space Ireland, into um, how our children and how parents are have found the lockdown and the impact of it on them. Jennifer, it's very interesting, um, I suppose, the difference between the Irish and English responses to what the top three stressors were for parents. Education, the top one here, how to balance the work with that and the kids' screen time. Um, I noticed as well in your results that um, 20% are not getting the amount of exercise they should be getting. There's kind of no excuse for that these days, is there? Well, uh, I suppose... That was a quite a, a, an interesting finding from the, the first 500 participants that was coming in, uh, that they were reporting 80% of children and young people weren't getting the recommended uh, 30 minutes um, of energetic physical activity per day. And I suppose that is, you know, quite a, a small number. It's, it's the who follows the who guidelines. You might expect them to be getting maybe a little bit more than that. Um, if we actually looked at that by breakdown, we saw that, um, sorry, 
it was 75% overall, but 80% of children were getting it, but 67% of adults were, or 67% of adolescents were only getting it. Mm. So if you, you know, so less adolescents are actually getting the physical activity that they need. And we know that physical activity feeds into a whole range of other health outcomes, including mental health as well. So that would be really important that they were getting that opportunity. So a little bit concerning that we have a large portion of young people not getting the exercise that they need. Yeah, that's and it's surprising because I know um, from speaking even to physiotherapists that they've had a huge level of people contacting them because they've got injuries from too much walking. Um, that's yes. not actually <laughs> sounds like a joke. Extreme. Yeah, that's it. So like uh, certainly at the beginning now maybe that's faded off a little bit, but certainly for the first couple of months people were out pounding the roads every day, and uh, I guess that's not mm-hmm. something everyone can do. In terms of the psychological impact though on the kids, I think it's interesting that you say that the screen time is an issue. Um, I think a lot of parents feeling, and Jen Hogan, who is a regular guest on the show, has an article in the Irish Times today saying that, you know, she feels she's failing her kids when it comes to the education. Mm -hmm. A lot of parents just have too much on their plate and they actually can't do both things at the same time. Um, Is that going to have an impact on the kids? Yeah, well, I mean, I think the, the key to this is the, the longevity of the restrictions. And I suppose they ha- they did go on a lot longer maybe than people anticipated mm. at the start. And I think the expectation was it was going to be for a couple of weeks and it was it was not clear that it was going to be for three months. Um, and obviously now more that children are actually going into the summer holidays without having been back to school at all. Um, so I think maybe in the first few weeks, pe- parents were juggling and, you know, I think maybe concrete plans were not really made in in the first instance because people not knowing how long it was going to be couldn't really set out a plan for the first few months. Also, we noted that uh, in particular for parents who are working and I suppose a lot of people who are working were scrambling in the online space. They were getting things up online. They were figuring out their new environment. And so that was a stressor in and of itself um, and let alone having to manage the needs of their children as they try to manage that need as well. So it is no surprise that um, over a third of parents who were working reported that they were only meeting their child's needs a bit or not at all, mm. which tells us that, you know, their their families are struggling uh, in this current work environment and, and maybe it's a little bit invisible at times, although certainly anecdotally, you're right, there has been a lot of uh, reports in the media of parents feeling like failures and not managing the schoolwork piece. Um, and, and actually that was the top stressor, that their child's education was the biggest stressor um, and there's probably a number of reasons why that is the case. Yeah, I mean, we certainly, we saw things like, you know, most households don't have a, a laptop for everyone, particularly mm-hmm. if you have two or three teenage kids. And, you know, who gets to use the laptop? Well, mum mm-hmm. or dad has work deadlines and that's money. And, you know, yeah. the education kind of has to go out the window if, if it's a case of deciding who gets access to it. Um, did that come up, things like access to technology? Yeah, so I haven't got the exact numbers on it, but definitely in Ireland, access to technology is a, is an issue, and and obviously good Wi-Fi is an issue for a lot of for some parents. Um, so and that issue that you raise has has come up anecdotally around access to devices. So as you say, if there's a phone, a tablet, a laptop in a house, and that's that's doing really well. If there's that many devices in a house. Mm-hmm. Who gets access to those? How is it divvied up? Um, if we actually looked at the stats around uh, time in school or time completing schoolwork, um, less than half of the parents report that their child completed two or more hours of schoolwork per day. Now, that might surprise some people because I think there was this idea at the, during the pandemic that children were doing lots of schoolwork mm-hmm. at home in, in lots of families. Um, but that, I think, tells us that, you know, two, or le- two hours or less was the kind of average that 
through them were actually doing a little bit more for adolescents. Um, 60% of adolescents were doing two hours or more. But right. only 23% of children were doing two or more two or more hours of schoolwork per day. Now, that's a lot of time left in the day to occupy children. Um, and I suppose even at those two hours, that might need a lot of parental support. Um, what we actually found in the study as well is that parents who were had adolescents doing schoolwork, they were feeling very unable to support their adolescents around schoolwork, which, again, is probably no surprise because it's kind of that level higher than maybe a primary school age child. So, um, again, I think the preoccupation in Ireland with leaving certificate and so on mm. is probably another reason why that uh, child education came to the forefront in Ireland. We, we probably have a, more of a fixation around those issues than our counterparts in the UK. And there would have been certainly, when this data was collected, a lot of conversations in the media about um, students completing the leaving cert. Um, during the time it was collected, I suppose the, the department holding strong to the line that the leaving cert would go ahead. Yeah. And yeah. I suppose that was causing quite. A, you can see that that's coming through, perhaps in the in the in the data, that parents were feeling quite concerned about their child's education, um, in in general, you know. Mm, and in terms then of the peer interactions, like I, my kids are are um, nearly four and nearly two, and like they just didn't see another child for two months mm. or whatever um, and now that they're back in playgrounds and they're seeing other kids I have to say I'm very relieved I thought mm. kind of you know you, you raise them or you try and raise them to not be worrying too much about dirt or you know not to be paranoid about things and then suddenly the pandemic comes along and suddenly it's wash your hands don't touch anyone don't go near anyone don't breathe near anyone yeah. I mean you bring my three and a half year old out for a walk and he will say loudly if there's anyone on the footpath anywhere near him those people are too close um, yeah. but interestingly you bring him into a playground and suddenly all of the inhibitions are gone and he's gone back to being a normal kid um, which I was I was very very relieved at because you hear the kids are resilient but I mean they're not all that resilient are they? No I I, I mean anecdotally I think your experience is very much in line with everybody else's I have a five year old myself and mm. I, I, I was also very relieved that he can now interact with the children because he doesn't have any siblings close in age yeah. um, and I think that's one of the key concern I haven't analysed that data yet but I do think um, parents of children who don't have siblings close in age is probably probably more they were probably more concerned about their children perhaps yeah. than those with siblings because you know obviously they're, they're getting that a type of peer interaction that children um, without that aren't getting. So I, I can I I feel your um, I feel your relief there at getting them kind of into some bit of normality. Mm. But uh, there would be kind of we don't have the exact evidence yet. But the UK study did find that um, primary school age children that were taking part in the study they did report an increase in their child's emotional um, behaviour and attentional difficulties. So that indicates that there was, over the period of the pandemic, that the data was collected, um, a kind of decrease in children's mental health at primary school age. So that would be kind of the children's age that we're talking about. Um, I suppose that that is the beauty of the COVID study, or uh, the co-space study, is that we are tracking parents longitudinally, so we're tracking them over time. So our parents fill out the baseline survey, and then we ask them to participate in follow-up surveys, which can take place at a month later. And the, the follow-up surveys are a little bit shorter. Um, so that, I mean, I think it's really important that we track the, the changes in young people so that we can have more robust evidence about how this is actually impacting on their mental health rather than just a one one-time snapshot. 
Mm. Okay, so we'll keep an eye on that. Dr. Jennifer McMahon from UL, thanks for that. Very interesting to hear, um, I suppose, beyond the anecdotal evidence of what's actually happening um, in within families. Because again, you know, you talk to people and they're saying, oh, the kids are great and they're going for their walks and they're going here and they're going there. And if you have all the technology at home and you have a comfortable home for them and you ha- live near green space and you have all that, but there's plenty of people that don't and you do wonder how... Um, how the kids are managing. I'd be interested to hear from you on that. 0833 96 96 96 if you feel that your your kids are coping well or coping badly with the lockdown and what impact you think it's going to have on them. Now on to something totally different after the break. We started off this morning with uh, Dr. Doom um, as Margaret called him on Twitter Jerkeline basically warning that he feels the lockdown restrictions are lifting too early and all at once and that it should have been staggered. Um, however obviously an awful lot of people are hoping that things will get back up and running soon because they want to have experienced some bit of 2020, I think. And that would include live music and concerts and getting out to the pub. Jerk Eiley from the Old Oak has some thoughts on this and I'll be talking to him in a few minutes. Stay tuned for that. This is Cork's Gold Imro Award-winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now. 0833 96 96 96. On Cork's 96FM. So we spoke earlier about the lockdown restrictions lifting and about all the things that are going to be, you know, up and running again soon, things like hairdressers and beauticians. But live music, I think, is still kind of on the long finger and, and pubs that don't serve meals. Chair Kyle, you're the owner of the Old Oak. Good morning. Hello, good morning. How are you? I'm not too bad, Jer. How are you this morning? How are, how are you feeling looking at all this talk of reopening? Um, well, we are reopening the old oak part from next Monday and we will serve food properly and then we'll open the bar fully in three weeks after that. Okay. So I'm is a different murder because there's live music. And while they have made some changes and announcements over the last Friday and over the weekend, they're only allowing 50 people at a gig at present, which is not enough. So from all points of view, it's good as bad as music at least, but we, we won't be able to open with 50 people. How many does Cypress Avenue normally fit? Uh, 500. Oh, wow, and 50 is the maximum you're opening now? Uh, 50 now is increasing to 100 um, from the 21st of July. But even 100, um, they seem to have set a limit of number limit. I'm not sure why. And in fairness, the government have done a good job with regard to all this whole crisis. But on this, is unusual. I'm not sure why they haven't set it based upon what a venue can safely hold and what safe, can safely manage. But they have, that's the way they've set it at present. Yeah, it's... I mean, we, we spoke to um, Roy, um, his surname escapes me, but you know, Roy Buckley. Uh, we spoke yeah. to Roy Buckley on the show last week and I'm sure you know Roy pretty well. Like, it really feels a thing for a lot of performing artists like they have been completely left out of this. Mm, yes, they have to a certain extent. It's a difficult area, and it's, but there's a huge number of people involved. And I think a lot of people don't realise the number of people involved in music and live venues and performing. Mm. It's not just the music and the artists, but it's also like the sound engineers, the lighting engineers, the technicians and production managers, tour managers, all people associated with all the festivals that have been lost over the summer. Um, and indeed, the people that provide equipment to festivals, like the, like the lighting, the sound, like, the, like even the marquees. And then you go down to people like DJs who have no work whatsoever and don't have any foreseeable work into the future. And then, of course, all the personnel working in venues. So there's a huge plethora of people there that are, that won't be working for a good period of time. 
Yeah, I mean, when when you're looking at the lobbyists, I suppose, the likes of the um, hairdressing groups and the Restaurants Association, they seem to have very successful lobby groups where they've been listened to. Um, you know, I suppose we'll put aside whether people kind of agree with the wisdom of that or not. But is there a sense that maybe kind of within the arts and the music and entertainment industry that there isn't kind of a strong enough voice at the bargaining table to have, have got this on the agenda? Uh, no, there's not a strong enough voice. That's very definitely true. There's no one represents, for instance, sound engineers. No one mm. even thinks of lighting engineers. There is nobody representing DJs. And these people have a very good and great function. They help the country an awful lot what to do, but they're just forgotten about at present. Absolutely. I mean, Jerry, thinking of all the people, I mean, you've dealt with every band that has ever come through Cork. Like, they, if they played the Marquis, they were playing Cypress, Cypress Avenue two years before that, probably. Um, uh, yes. Thinking of all of them and their situations at the moment, that's a, a very difficult space for them to be in. It is. It's very tough on musicians and artists. Um, one would wonder how many were going to be left at the end, or how many people are going to be lost, lost at this industry. How many sound engineers and lighting engineers are working and have no work now and have had no work for, what, 15 weeks so far? Yeah. And probably can't foresee work coming for a long period of time. How many will just have to go off and get out of work and then won't be available? Yeah. There is a difficulty that we could lose an awful lot of people and key workers to the industry could be gone and will never come back up, come back. Um, there's a space there for art and culture that somebody needs to look at in mind and nurture and try and bring it through this difficult time. Yeah, absolutely. And it did strike me last week that there was 20 million for the arts, but that was for the whole of the arts. And Correct. when you look at the money that, for example, Greyhound Racing gets every year or the, um, you know, the GAA or whatever, and then look at what people were actually able to do during the lockdown, which was watch films, read books, listen to music, even look at gigs on Facebook from those same artists who now have no work. It does look like they have been really kind of fed to the wolves a bit. Um, in, in terms of the old oak itself, Jerry, you'd say you're going to be back open next week. Yeah, correct me if I'm wrong, but you hadn't done um, food before in, in any big way, had you? No, we did food. We've always done food, but it's not been a major part of what we've done, no. Um, we will expand it. We'll have to expand our menu now, and we will be opening serving food. Okay, so our, how, how has the preparation been for that? We've just been working away with it, and we think we'll be okay, but we'll just find out next week. Yeah, um, and have you... Have you kind of a big restriction? I mean, you have quite a big premises there, so at least you have space. Um, and the numbers and, and the social distancing and all that, how are you going to manage that? We don't foresee a problem with it because we're lucky enough. We are we're lucky once it does have space. And I feel sorry for the smaller venues and smaller pubs because they don't have the space and the capacity. But we, and particular things like toilets or whatever, we're lucky we've got three separate areas where we can use things like toilet facilities and keep separation. So we're one of the luckier ones. Yeah, it's... that whole question of social distancing is interesting or, or physical distancing probably is a better word yeah. um, I'm not sure how that's going to apply when, when venues do open and they are allowed open because at a live gig I'm not sure how one's going to implement physical distancing No. so there are issues we looked at as well from a government point of view I think probably the whole sector of live music we need like both fault issue guidelines for the whole hospitality sector which are very helpful but we need a government or someone to look at it and say, okay, that's what, we, what you need to do to safely operate. Yeah. Like, are you looking at a scenario where, I mean, we saw when the schools, I think, reopened in France, that there was kids outside playing in a box, basically. There was a, a chalked box on the tarmac outside the school yeah, and each child to just stay in their box. I mean, would you be looking at, at, at concerts like that? I don't think so. I'm not sure if it would work. We, we have talked about it and we discussed it, but we were of the opinion and view that it's very hard to corral people into an area and say you have to stay in that box. Yeah. Particularly as a live gig, if you get into the atmosphere and you're 
dancing along to the, to the performer. It's very, very hard to stay in a box. Yeah. So we're not sure how it's going to operate, being truthful. Um, we envisage above and beyond sit-down gigs with spacing of probably one metre if they're going to allow that at present. We find it very difficult to see how gigs can, can operate and function until this thing has passed to a large extent. It's a difficult time. Um, I mean, in terms of your own staff, I presume they've all been kind of on the COVID payment for the duration. How many of them are you going to be able to bring back? Will you be able to bring back the majority? We've kept all the staff that wanted to stay with us. We've kept every one of them and we've supplemented the COVID payments every week. So we've kept everyone who wanted to stay with us. Not everyone stayed because some people got more money on COVID. Mm -hmm. Um, And we are bringing everyone back and hopefully we'll have enough work for them. Okay. We're everyone that has worked with us and these working with us and is stable us, we're bringing everyone back. Obviously, some functions and roles will have to change, but yes, we intend to have everyone continue to employ everyone. We're not leaving anyone off. Okay, Ger, fair play to you. Uh, best of luck with this. So, next week, and will people be booking online or how are they going to book, do you think, the tables? Uh, yes, yes, we will book online. We will have to do an online booking system. Okay. And we will operate the time system then. And as the time comes, people will have to move on. That's it. Yeah, it's going to be a very, very different pub experience, isn't it? Um, it will change again in three weeks' time when it's back to the normal pub as such. I think that will probably be, it will probably make it more like what it has been up to now. Yeah. Yeah. That probably would be okay from there. Okay. Chair Kylie from the Old Oak, thank you for that and best of luck with the reopening. Thank you very much. Thank you Take for your care. time. Thank you. And if you are if you are at home and you're somebody who works in the the, I suppose the live entertainment industry, if you're in the background, like this is the thing I suppose we're talking about the musicians and that they've been able to do things online, they might be able to still release music. Um, but if you're a sound engineer or a light engineer and you've equipment that you're paying off, or you're you know a PR person or an agent or an events organizer, I mean what. What what is there out there for you? I know there's musicians I know who are doing kind of other jobs at the moment. They've got involved in driving delivery vans and all that kind of stuff and whatever keeps the wolf from the door I suppose is great. But it, that's a hard position to be in when you've spent your life kind of building up a career and now it's it's really all just up in the air. Uh, we can come back to that if anybody wants to talk about it in a while. 1850-715-996 is the number to ring. But we've a few queries in this morning, a few car-related queries. Um, Pam has texted in to ask, say she's trying to book a test and ringing and there's been no answer. This is a driver theory test. They've removed the number from their website and the closest test is October, November. Did anyone else have an issue with this, that they couldn't get a theory test in Cork? Um, was the... Did the place down near the College of Commerce, did that used to do the theory test or is that just the licensing? Um, somebody might know the answer to that. But um, there's also another one in, sorry, I'm just looking for it here, about cars and, oh, the NCT. I think somebody contacted us about that. Paddy rang in to ask, is there a three-month extension on the NCT? And if you can't book online, how do you contact them? Because nobody's answering the phone and he's not able to use the computer. Chair Herbert, motoring journalist, is on the line and I'll be speaking to her about this in a minute. Uh, this and other things the Clancy Amendment which you will remember um, being brought through after that terrible accident up in North Cork where um, a young girl and her mother lost their lives uh, because there was a learner driver driving the other car Uh, the Clancy Amendment was brought in to prevent learner drivers driving on their own 1200 cars have been seized um, on the basis of the Clancy Amendment this year that's an awful lot of cars I'll be talking to Ger Herbert about that about the NCT and about the driver theory test uh, in a moment she's on the line there uh, if you've any queries for Ger, 083 396 and um, we can try and put those to her. This is Cork's Gold Imro Award-winning 
Talk Show, The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Call us now, 1850-715-996. On Corks 96 FM. Now, I mentioned the Clancy Amendment just before the break there and 1,200 cars seized under this to date this year. Ger Herbert, is that what we would have expected from this? Is that a higher number than you might have expected? Um, good morning, dear. I would have thought this was quite high, um, given the fact that there were 1,300 vehicles seized under the Clancy Amendment last year from January to June, so the same time period. Now, remember, the Clancy Amendment only came in in December 2018, so like any new law, it takes a while to have an impact on drivers and for, you know, for people, I suppose, to realise that it's, it's in existence and also that the guards are actually going to enforce it. So 1,300 last year, I suppose, would have been an expected number, but you would have expected those numbers to fall this year for two reasons. As I said, you know, there was more awareness of the amendment, but also the fact that um, traffic volumes were reduced by about 70% during the lockdown. So, I mean, there were less cars on the road, so that number should be a lot lower, I would have thought. Yeah, I mean, it, I've I've been following your Twitter actually in relation to this and in relation to kind of the reduced traffic numbers in general and there have been some very surprising things on it. The other one that I noted during the lockdown was that actually um, road accidents didn't go down despite the fact that there was hardly any traffic on the road. No, they didn't, um, which was really, really surprising. And again, there were all sorts of reasons for that. I suppose in slow-moving traffic, there's much less chances of accidents. There wasn't traffic, so people were obviously speeding on roads that maybe they weren't used to speeding on. Mm. You know, it's a very different story to drive a car at, you know, 30, 40 kilometres and then suddenly to have a clear road and drive it at a much higher speed. There could be bad bends in it that you hadn't noticed and all sorts of things. But also speeding, um, speed detections weren't down that much at all. I think they reduced by about 30%, but yet traffic volumes were down by 70 so wow. definitely there was there was an idea that that i suppose that either there wasn't any enforcement of speeding and people just took advantage of it or it was just a case that people you know because they didn't have a car in front of them sort of regulating their speed that they were just you know unknowingly speeding or whatever but certainly the situation was a lot different from what you would have expected yeah absolutely it was surprising to me although i did wonder how the uh, the pedestrians and cyclists were faring given that there was so many more of them um out and about during the lockdown with these cars which despite the number of them were going that much faster i can see it outside my own house the, the speed the cars are going and sure there's people walking on the road and walking everywhere um anyway that's that's why i wanted to talk to you the other thing i wanted to talk to you about was the um the nct and the driving test so all these systems were kind of suspended for the be- at the beginning of the lockdown what's the situation with them coming back Okay, with the NCT, there are some centres open. Now, there's, they're opening on a gradual basis. I think there's about 18 have opened already, and the rest will open throughout June and July. There was an extension granted for four months for um, the NCT, but you can still continue. You, you, now, there is a call centre number where you can ring them. I think it's open from about 9 in the morning to 4 in the afternoon if you have a query, but you can't book a test on the phone. You have to book one online. Okay. So, I mean, there, should be, there shouldn't be an issue about doing that. As I said, the centres are reopening at the moment. Okay, and if you can't book online, there's no other way of doing it, is there? No, you have okay. to be able to, you have to book online. That's the only facility at the moment. Right. So Paddy who rang in, you'll just you're just going to have to find some person to help you book it online because uh, that's the only way they're doing it now. In relation then to the theory tester, um is it the same situation with centres opening gradually? You see, we don't know about this at the moment. Now, what was quite surprising was on Friday that the driving test and the driving lessons were announced as a phase three reopening. There hadn't been a date up to this for that. Now, I think probably 
there's a lot of sectors of of, of, the, of industries that have been kind of taken by surprise by being mm. included in phases of these um, the, the lifting of the restrictions. And the, the latest one is the driving test. Now, I'm not sure that driving schools were aware that they were going to be included this soon. Yeah. And I'm not sure that they're actually prepared to start driving lessons from the 29th of June. But they are included now in the phase three. So I suppose that is, that is helpful. But when the driving lessons or driving tests will actually um, start, there's no, there's no definite um, date on that at the moment. Wow, and you'd imagine that that's, I mean, whatever about hairdressing, in a driving test you're going to be sitting beside somebody for 45 minutes at very close quarters to them. I mean, that's a very difficult one to, to bring back if they aren't prepared for it. Yeah, I, I mean, I think this is going to be a, a huge challenge. And I think probably the, whatever about the driving test, because a lot of people do that in their own car, um, the driving lessons are going to be a huge problem because obviously you have a car where people are jumping in and out of, yeah. so therefore you won't be able to go from one student to another and that's how this is efficiently done. Yeah. You know, you'd have to sanitise the car before you... So I'd imagine the capacity for driving tests is going to be, our driving lessons is going to be severely restricted. As I said, for the driving test, once they can come up with some way of doing it, and I mean, I don't know, maybe the solution is to just to reduce the time you spend in the car with a student. Mm. Um, but I could imagine it would get up to like fairly good capacity. But I think driving lessons will be a serious issue just in terms of the amount that you can do in one day. Yeah, absolutely. Um, somebody tells me here, in most US states, they have started the tests again by creating a manoeuvre test in a test centre with cones to test for reversing under corner, parallel parking, etc. Then they do a follow behind test where they give you a route and they follow you in another car so that the tester doesn't sit in the car with you. Yeah. So that's something, I suppose. Um, although you kind of wonder, are you getting the same level of, of scrutiny if they're um, not actually in the car? You'd have to practice your looking in the mirrors way more obviously than you do that already. Yeah, you can really turn your but I mean the thing is Deirdre they could do bits of that if they did the manoeuvring in a car park where you were just watched and then they reduced the amount of time yeah. that the person sat in the car with you it might be an option you know because it does seem to be that time is quite a significant factor with all of this so 20 minutes sitting in a car you know when well ventilated car wearing a mask or whatever I mean you know is that much different from using public transport really at this stage so yeah good point particularly on the busier routes uh, a couple of other texts here from people um, Jerry you're going to be overrun with queries now so if, if if any of these are, are not, if you're not up to speed on any of these, apologies because we're throwing them at you live on air. Uh, Mary says, what about an expired license? Um, has, has the system for replacing your license come back? Again, you should do that. You can do that online. So there shouldn't be a problem with that. I mean, I think it's only if you have an underlying medical condition that you can't renew your license online. Okay, so you'd have to go and get your, your medical or whatever for that. And or maybe, I suppose, if you're over 70. Only by appointment. You can't drop into those centres anymore. But as I said, you can, you can renew online, no problem. Okay, great. Uh, Caroline says, the week before we shut down, I was due to bring my car for testing. I paid the fee. Now I can't contact them. Do I have to pay again? That seems ridiculous. I would have thought you don't. As I said, there is a call centre oh, uh, a call centre number for the NCT open from nine in the morning to four, so your best bet is to, to, to contact them directly. Okay, so we'll read out that number. Fergal, you might root out that number for me if you can, the uh, the NCT Do call centre number. It? Okay. It's oh, great. 01 yeah. 413-5994. So that call centre number for, for the NCT, 01413-5994, yeah. and that's nine to four. Okay, so Paddy and Mary and Caroline, you, you can probably uh, call that number if you need anything further. So sure, I suppose things are things are gradually getting back to normal. In terms of um, the car dealerships and that, I've seen some more increased activity from them advertising-wise and that on social media. They're back open, I think, aren't they? They are.
are, but again, it's done in a very different way. I mean, you know, they're they're doing a lot of stuff by if you send in, if you if you phone them up and you're inquiring about a car, they'll send you a video about the car. They'll send you online stuff. You know, it's not the same thing. They have also made the, the facility possible that you can actually take a car to test drive on your own. You don't need somebody from within the dealership to sit in the car with you. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's very, very different than before. There does seem to be quite a lot of interest in people are returning, but I think for the car industry it's been difficult because even when the Phase 1, when they got it, um, they reopened on May the 18th, the 5-kilometre restriction was still in, so it still, yeah. you know, was an issue. And then now that they're open through June. June is not a great time to buy a car because most people are holding out for the new registration. So I think it'll be really August before we know what sort of situation car sales are in and have they bounced back and if they have, by how much or whatever. So it's still all very unclear at the moment. But of course, at least the petrol is cheap these days. There's something to be said for that. (laughs) There's a lot to be said for that, yes. You see, there are pluses for everything. There has to be a bright side to Chair Herbert. Thank you for that and thank you for answering all those random queries that we threw at you. We'll talk to you again soon. Not at all. Thanks, Thanks very David. much. So uh, there is that number for the NCT is a is a call centre number. So if you've any queries related to the NCT specifically, so Caroline, your query about having to pay again would fit into this. 0141355994. Now, in just a minute, I'm going to be speaking to Nadia, who has a very interesting personal story around surrogacy. It's something that um, is quite often, I suppose, in the celebrity news. Um, we've heard about various celebrities, including Rosanna Davison, um, including, I think... Um, um, I've forgotten, is it one of the Kardashians had a surrogate as well? Um, huge number of celebrities appear to use surrogates for different things, but there are loads of different types of surrogacy and a lot of them are legally in very, very grey areas in Ireland. But Nadia is living in Ireland, she's done it, and um, she is going to tell me her story of um, of figuring this out in just a few minutes. So stay tuned for that. I have loads more texts and comments to read um, from you in relation to concerts and other things which I will come back to in a minute as well. Uh, Kardashian West. Oh, it was Kim and Kanye was it that used the, the surrogates? Fergal, for some reason, knows way more about the Kardashians than I do. But yeah, so it was Kim and Kanye that used a surrogate. And as I say, it does seem to be a thing. Oh, Beyonce as well, didn't she? Were the twins uh, born by a surrogacy? Um, or maybe not Beyonce. I remember a picture of her being pregnant. Anyhow, uh, I'll talk to Nadia about it in a moment and get her experience. Very, very interesting story and certainly something a lot of people struggling with infertility might be interested in hearing. This is Court's Gold Imro Award winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now. 0833 96 96 96. On Court's 96 FM. Nadia Devon runs the 2P's Not My Pod blog about surrogacy and the Instagram page uh, which also is linked to the blog about her own journey with surrogacy and other information uh, background information including a very interesting history of surrogacy kind of throughout the ages. Nadia tell me tell me about your own journey you were diagnosed initially with cancer at 29. Good morning Deirdre how are you? Yeah I was um, age 29 yeah I was diagnosed with cancer um, it was a big shock obviously at any age but especially 29 you know kind of in in the middle of life and just kind of run, run, one of the bill, normal things to have this thrown at you um, so just before I started treatment or um, had any kind of operations or anything they discussed with me in the hospital that I had the opportunity to go to with a ton to IVF um, uh, IVF clinic and we could look at our fertility options in case that any of the um, 
cancer treatments or um, like the chemo and that would affect my fertility in the future. So um, we went along there and we had, um, my boyfriend at the time, George, we had um, our first uh, consultation there and we decided that was the safest and was the, uh, the best opportunity for us to, um, uh, sorry, freeze embryos. Was going to have the highest success rate in the future for us to transfer an embryo, um, and we kind of had the idea then because I hadn't had a hysterectomy at that stage that we would go back and we'd use them ourselves. Mm. But unfortunately, then um, after my second diagnosis, then um, a couple of months after I got the all clear, um, I had to have a hysterectomy at that stage. So we were at a stage then where we had fourteen embryos frozen in the rotunda in Dublin. And we had no uh, opportunity to use them, obviously, because I had hysterectomy. So yeah. we kind of looked further afield and see what our options were. And we, it turned out that obviously surrogacy was was our only option. And once that kind of became clear, where did you go then? Because we, the situation governing surrogacy in Ireland is really, really legally a minefield, isn't it? It is, well, it's kind of in limbo at the moment and has been since um, we started looking into it. So it's neither legal or illegal in Ireland at the moment. There is no legislation. Um, Now they have uh, in place, they have um, a bill called the Children and Family Relationship Act um, 2015. They have started to bring in some parts of that now. So hopefully it will become apparent in the next couple of months or years that they will bring it in, that they will, you will be able to um, do surrogacy in Ireland, that they will have um, a governing body um, over it, that uh, it will be all legislated and safe for each party. Um, but unfortunately at the time, we had no option there. So we we went and we went, uh, we rang all the clinics in Ireland just to make sure nobody would do it. Um, and then we went to the UK as well. And it just came apparent that uh, the USA was the um the best place for us to go was the safest place for us to go at the time and was that kind of on health grounds or on kind of the fact that it's near it um on health grounds yeah obviously um fantastic health service um for for the surrogate and for us there and um, but there were no other options at the time like the ukraine has become um very popular at the moment um, now, but it wasn't at the time when we started looking into it. Um, India was at the time. India was open to international surrogacy, but uh, you had to be married two years, and we hadn't been married the two years, so okay. they wouldn't look at us. Now they have closed the doors um, on international surrogacy. Now it's only domestic surrogacy that they look at now. Um, so it was it was it was pretty much the only it was the safest route for us legally and health health wise as well. Okay. So we the the agency that we went through. So we signed up with an agency um, that covers everything from le- from the legalities of everything to matching a surrogate um, to organize helping you organize your travel plans. You know everything like that. Um, and they were on the east coast. <coughs> excuse me. So um, it was easy for us to get to. You know it was a, it was a six six hour flight really. Um, some parts of the Ukraine that, or sorry, some parts of India that they were um, suggesting at the time, it was a lot longer than that. It was it was a, it was a harder um, commute, I suppose, harder travel plan for us. So um, even if it was an option, so we went um, with uh, Circle Surrogacy. They're based in Boston in the US. 
And in terms then, I suppose a lot of people hear about and think about surrogacy and they say, oh, well, did you have a sister that could carry the baby for you or somebody else, a friend? Um, because the idea of commercial surrogacy, I guess, kind of makes a lot of people very uneasy. Did you have any qualms about that? Um, no, I didn't, um, to be honest with you. Um, it was, it meant, it, you know, it's it's not life-changing um, to for a surrogate in the US. It's not going to you know, um, put their whole family through college or anything like that. It's 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 a it's a small fee. It's a relatively small fee for them um, in the US. Like obviously, we would pay for the health insurance and um, the transfer costs and travel to the clinics and you know obvious things like that. Yeah. But the fee that they get personally, it's not life changing for them. What kind you know, of money is it? Um, it? It it totally depends on where you go. Okay. So the uh, yes. the financial aspect of it that that didn't bother you um, in terms of, of, of you kind of had no ethical issues about that, um, and so the clinic they obviously were very experienced in this. They've done an awful lot of them, and that all went very smoothly. It did, yeah, yeah. There, um, so each part, each party, so ourselves and our, our surrogate Tiffany, um, we're both assigned a counsellor, so it was fully open to if you know if any problems, if you don't, if you. If you wanted to talk about anything, that you know, they minded us really well. And how um, did you how did you find Tiffany, or how did she come to be the person that was going to carry your your baby? So it was our agency that um, so in the US, so a lady would decide I want to be a surrogate, so they would sign up to an agency, and then they wait to be matched. So it, it's a long process um, of about ten or twelve weeks to be accepted into it. If from the surrogate's point of view, we waited nine months to be matched with her. Um, so you know, there's criminal background checks, there's um, bankruptcy checks. You know, they, they they make sure that you're doing it for the right reasons. You know, and it's not to clear a debt or it's not to for any other reason. You know, it's not because you have to have had babies before. Okay. That's one of the main things. So you know what you're going through and you know what is what it is like to have a baby. Yeah. Um, so she yeah she was matched with us um, through the agency. Uh, we both ba- basically filled out um, what we'd liked in the surrogate and. Um, what you know, our personal interests, and then it's kind of compared to her personal interests, and it's kind of matched like the same type of people, which they did a really good job. Like, um, Tiffany would be very like us, um, and we get on really well. We clicked as, as, as soon as we started talking, and um, we had a Skype call the first day, um, to meet each other, and we were on the phone, I think, for about two and a half hours. We, we you know, we had a lot in common, um, and we that de- we we both decided straight away after the call yeah we'd love to be matched we'd love to confirm with the agency then that we'd love to match with each other wow so everything went smoothly with the pregnancy and um tell, tell me about the babies yeah so we um we sent we had we had our embryos here obviously in the clinic in dublin and um, so we had to then ship them over to america so that was helped by us the um the clinic in dublin helped us with that, they liaised the clinic that we used in Connecticut, and they were shipped over um, by a specialist courier um, over to the US. So we sent over seven of our embryos, and um, they. So we actually went to America to meet Tiffany in person, and to be there for the transfer. So um, they started towing the embryo, embryos on the Monday, and our transfer was on the Thursday. But by the Thursday, there was only one embryo had had survived all of the thought process over those couple of days. So we just had one embryo left. So that was a big shock to us as well. It's something that I kind of, kind of didn't 
even think about at the time. There's mm. so much going on. So um, I was in the room with Tiffany for the transfer. And it was, it's, it's a lovely, magical moment. And it's lovely to have, have to be able to share it with Tiffany as well, you know, to be there. Um, so they transferred the one embryo and then we had an early uh, six or seven week scan and we found out that we were actually having twins. Mm. So I think it's like a 1% chance of when a single embryo is transferred and um, like that, it is one percent one percent chance of twins, and I think it's like not point not four triplets. So <laughs> we um, we had identical twin boys then born nine months later. And you were there for the birth. We were there for the birth. Yeah, so we went over for the twenty. We kept in contact all the time with Tiffany through Skype calls and all of the appointments that she had with doctors and hospitals. We skyped for everything. So we were really, we definitely felt you know, a, a big part of it, you know, personally, um, she definitely helped that. Like we recorded, you know, even <clears throat> ourselves, we recorded reading a book and she would play it then each night for the babies, you know, um, for us to kind of, kind of familiar with our voices and oh. that type of thing. So it was very personal experience. It was lovely. Um, so we were there for the birth. I was in the room with Tiffany then. She had a, a planned C-section and then my husband, George, he was in the other room. So he had to, he heard the babies cry as soon as they were born and then... Um, uh, they were both born and then one was taken out um, into um, NICU and then George went with him and then I stayed with Tiffany and then when they told me to leave then we had to do all the rest of the little bits and pieces um, I went out with Zach then um, down to the NICU so uh, it was amazing, it was absolutely amazing it was lovely, you know, I was holding Tiffany's hand when the boys were being born it was um, it was definitely a surreal moment um, everything in the last you know, few years I just kind of into that moment just it kind of made all the bad memories of being sick and chemo and the, the stress of stress of everything just kind of fizzle away and there, our boys were there. So, yeah, it was absolutely amazing. Wow. And you're still in touch with Tiffany? Yeah, we're um, still in touch. She came over there last year for a week and she stayed with us and we had a lovely time. She caught up with boys and uh, they're planning, well, all going all going well with everything in the next couple of months. They're planning to come for Christmas as well now this year. So hopefully that happens. Well, it's a whole other type of family relationship, isn't it? Yeah, like they they know Tiffany quite well. Um, you know, we Skype you know, every couple of months, every month or so now, and you know, we have pictures in the house over and that thing. So they know who she is. Um, they they know she's our friend Tiffany, and whatever we pl- we decide to do in the future with you know explaining, they're only three. This has gone three now, so they wouldn't understand at this stage. But you know, she's definitely a big part of our life. That's absolutely um, lovely. Yeah, and uh, fair play to her. That's a, that's an immensely generous thing to do for people as well to to be able to help you to live that dream. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's a, it's a massive, massive thing to do. Definitely, without doubt. Okay, so because I'm running out of time, Nadia, I'm going to direct people to your blog. It's two peas not my pod. Yes, that's it. Yeah. Um, for people who might want to find out more, uh, Nadia Devon, thanks a million for sharing your story with us today. Thanks I so think, much. Uh, thank you. It's a, a nice, uplifting way to end the show. I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. Maybe we can come back to it tomorrow. Oh eight three three ninety six ninety six ninety six is the text or WhatsApp number. It's a really interesting story, and I suppose it's such a modern way of being able able to, to solve a problem that would have seemed intractable. We didn't go into the, the citizenship issue and the passport issue, but because the boys were born in the US, they were able to get US passports and then they were able to get Irish passports afterwards. Um, because of the lack of a legal framework for that here, uh, if, if, if you did 
um, if they had been born in Ireland, there actually would have been no way to register them as Nadia's children, um, which is, is part of the big issue with that. Um, if you want to find out more, it's 2psnotmypod.ie. want to mention before I finish, uh, Tony rang in to say there was a lady from Slovakia running in the leaf fields yesterday. She found a key of a Volkswagen car. She went to the guards in Toker, handed in the key and the guard said he would drop it to Bishopstown Garda Station. So if you have lost a key of a Volkswagen um, down around the leaf fields, it is in Bishopstown Garda Station waiting for you. Thanks, Tony, for that. Today's show produced and edited by Fergal Barry with assistance from Nicole Ryan. PJ will be back tomorrow.